morning, everyone. Happy Monday. We're happy to be here for this special meeting um, of a budget hearing. Uh, Madam Secretary, could, could you please call the roll? President Ajami? Here. Vice President Maxwell? Commissioner Paulson? He's expected shortly. Commissioner Rivera is joining us today remotely. Commissioner Stacy? Here. You have a quorum. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and the mayor concerning social distancing and lifting the restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being televised on SFGTV. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUCIT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you wish to make remote public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2488-237-1755, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star three. Please note that you must limit your comments to the topic of the agenda item being discussed. If you do not stay on the topic, the you will be interrupted and asked to limit your comment to the agenda item. Please note that since this is a special meeting of the commission, there will be no general public comment period. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole, not to individual commissioners or staff. If you've already not done so, please silence your electronic devices. Madam President. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, before calling the first item, I would like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the land, unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of Mwakma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historic, historic federally recognized Mission San Jose, Verona, Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that very, every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Moakma Ohlone tribe's Aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932. It is, virtually, it is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal land on which we reside, but also we acknowledge the, and honor the fact that Moakma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Madam President, please call the first item. The first item is item number three, the public hearing, staff presentation and overview of the proposed budget priorities. Good morning, Commissioners. Dennis Herrera, General Manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, and hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at this uh, special meeting. We are at the midpoint of our two-year fixed budget process, and usually we have a break from budget hearings in the off year, as you're well aware. However, as you know, we've been working very hard on our capital plans over the past year and have a lot of updates to share with you in advance of the budgets being officially adopted at the regular meeting in February. So I want to lay... I'm sorry? Can you put the presentation up, Donna? Okay. So here's our agenda for today. 
First, a quick reminder about our budget process and what to expect. Then I will go over our budget context, challenges, and approach. And then I'll hand over uh, to CFO Nancy Hom and her team to go over our proposed fiscal year 2023-2024 operating budget changes, capital budget, and 10-year capital plan. She'll talk about what's driving the changes, the process we have followed, and why we have been so focused on prioritization. We'll also include a summary of the proposed 10-year financial plan, showing how all of these decisions impact our financial sustainability and rates in the future. After that, we'll hand over the presentation to the enterprise AGMs, who will go over their capital plans in more detail. Let's begin with a reminder about where we are in the budget process. The SFPUC has a fixed two-year operating budget, which was adopted by the Commission last February. However, we only put in place a one-year capital budget. So we're at the midpoint of our biennial operating budget and we'll only be making minor changes there. However, as we have been very busy with updating the capital budget, <coughs> we will talk more about, we'll talk more about that shortly. So what will be asked of you in the budget process? First, your review and oversight. Then you'll be asked to adopt the budget before it is proposed to the mayor's office in February. And at the February 14th regular meeting, you'll hopefully vote to adopt the operating budget changes, a capital plan and budget, and a 10-year financial plan. Our goal for today is to provide you with background information for these items. We'd also like to walk you through our strategy in developing these budgets. So let's talk about the context of this year's budget and the factors influencing its development. First, despite a wet winter so far, we are still officially in a drought and we don't know exactly when it will end. Secondly, the economy is very uncertain. A potential recession may impact our customers' ability to afford their bills. Inflation is high, which is impacting our operating costs. Rising interest rates make borrowing to pay our capital plan more expensive. The market for construction contractors is very challenging, making procurement slower and construction more expensive. We are in the middle of, a, of the rate study for water and wastewater, which will result in a multi-year rate package to be presented later in the spring. In keeping with our priority to keep rates affordable, we're being very careful in making prudent choices to ensure rate impacts are reasonable. We also face internal challenges in our capital program, namely our ability to deliver capital projects at the rate we plan. This has led to significant unspent balances that have been carried forward from year to year and have been growing, which present numerous financial risks. Additionally, the market for power has been very volatile with huge increases in power purchase costs for Hetchy and Clean Power SF putting significant pressure on budgets and rates. Lastly, we're facing regulatory uncertainty in the wastewater enterprise, which may entail significant future capital costs. So with that in mind, how did we approach this mid-cycle budget process? Firstly, the operating budget. We're at mid-cycle of fixed biennial budget, so we're keeping changes to a minimum. The main changes are to update power purchase projections, which have increased significantly, as I just mentioned, and to update revenues based on latest volumetric projections and rates. Secondly, capital. We've been doing a lot more work over the course of the last year. 
As CFO Nancy Hom went over at the December 13 commission meeting, last year's capital plan had total expenditures of $9.9 billion and total sources of $8.6 billion, leading to a 13% imbalance. Instead of balancing the capital plan by simply assuming long-term rate increases, we took the decision to move forward with, a, with an unbalanced 10-year capital plan and to only propose a one-year balanced capital budget for fiscal year 2022 and 2023 as we continued to refine our capital plan over the course of the last year. Our commitment to the commission was to revisit the fiscal year 2023-2024 capital budget and 10-year um, capital plan during the course of the last year. So here we are today to present a balanced plan that meets our, our agency's needs, informed by deliverability and ratepayer affordability. So with that, I'll hand uh, the mic over to CFO Nancy Hom and her team to provide more details on our proposed budget. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, President, Vice President, and Commissioners. My name is Nancy Hom, CFO and AGM of Business Services. Thank you for your time this morning. There was a clicker here. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, the first slide we have here provides a high-level overview of our proposed fiscal year 23-24 operating budget totaling $1.8 billion, billion. Our operating budget has increased steadily the past five years, approximately 26% or $363 million. The pie chart to the right represents the same budget by, but by major cost categories. As you'll note, the largest cost driver and majority portion of our operating budget is for capital uses, represented here in blue. We use these funds to pay for debt service, which is comprised of interest and principal repayments, and for revenue-funded capital in the current, each current year. The second largest cost driver is for the purchase of power, highlighted in orange, for Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF. These two drivers together account for nearly 60% of our operating budget and almost all of the budget growth in recent years. They will continue to do so in the near future. This, uh, this is another view of the operating budget, but by enterprise. On the right is the $1.8 billion budget again. The largest share is for the water enterprise, representing 38%, or $671 million. They are followed by wastewater at 24%, Hetch Hetchy Water and Power at 17%, and Clean Power SF at 21%. In the left column chart, the budgeted full-time equivalents total 2,748 FTEs for staff and are also broken out by enterprise. When considering vacancies and attrition, the actual number of staff we have on board is closer to 2,300 each year. You'll notice that one of the largest divisions is the SFPUC's support bureaus that provide critical support services to the enterprises. They include business services, external affairs, infrastructure, human resources, and the office of the general manager. Bureau costs are allocated to the enterprises via overhead allocation models. This next slide quickly details the proposed 10-year capital plan, 
which is approximately $8.8 billion over 10 years. As shown on this graph, the agency's capital costs are quite front-loaded, with over 70% of the spending planned in the first five years. And this is largely driven by Wastewater's Sewer System Improvement Program. The reason why the capital plan is highlighted here is to note its funding sources through the operating budget support, through its payment of debt proceeds, approximately 75% in a year, and then cash-funded, another 25%. Later in the presentation, we'll talk more about the 10-year capital plan, for now, we'll continue on with the operating budget's mid-cycle changes. As Dennis mentioned earlier, we're at the mid-cycle of a two-year fixed operating budget, and so we will only make minimal changes at this time. However, these changes do add up to be quite a large figure at 84 million. The incremental changes you see here are those made to the original fiscal year 2023-24 budget that this commission approved a year ago. These are not to be confused with year-over-year -year changes from the current year budget. So again, we're looking back one year when we proposed year two of the, of the operating budget. The overall increase on the sources side is $84 million and is primarily driven by an $89 million increase in the sale of electricity in the Clean Power SF um, enterprise to offset higher power purchase costs. Other increases include an $8 million increase in sales, water sales, due to a projected 5% rate increases and then a $5 million increase in the use of fund balance for Hetchy. These total increases were offset by an $18 million decrease in Hetchy's budgeted revenues to reflect an update um, from the power rate study that was completed last year, um, but was not in, uh, input in time for the original budget when it was adopted. On the uses side, the power Power purchases represent the most significant increase, as mentioned earlier by Dennis. This is a $118 million increase driven by these purchase, increased purchase costs in the current volatile market. These increases affect both Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF and represent an 86% increase in their power purchase budget as compared to prior year. Debt service has decreased <clears throat> excuse me, due to a savings of $28 million, mostly in the wastewater enterprise. The majority of this is from debt service savings from 10.7 million saved by not issuing new debt for the biosolids and headworks project. Instead, we drew upon WIFIA uh, low interest loans. There's another $8.9 million in savings related to a refunding transaction from 2022, and another 1.7 million in savings due to revised project schedules, meaning we didn't have to start repaying those debt issuances uh, in the current time. Capital funded revenues decreased by 14.2 million due to additional availability of unspent capacity fees. And operating costs were increased by $1.7 million related to the recycled water plant, which is scheduled to come online later this calendar year. This project was transferred from the capital budget to an, as an operational asset and requires funding in the current year for ongoing operating costs. <clears throat> and lastly, um, interdepartmental service work orders increased by $1.5 million. This is inclusive of correcting a Department of Public Works work order that was mistakenly input as a one-time cost instead of a recurring annual cost, and increasing city attorney work order costs for additional support for the PG&E acquisition project. Lastly, there was an increase in the general reserve contribution in wastewater, water, and clean power SF to balance sources and uses in those enterprises. 
So once all these mid-cycle changes have been incorporated, we see here again the same 2023-24 operating budget. We emphasize again that capital is our most important cost driver and it will continue to grow significantly. On the left side of the graph, capital costs have accounted for between 30 to 40% of the operating budget for the past five years. This means currently that more than 30 cents of every revenue dollar we collect goes to pay for capital. Over the next 10 years, this portion is projected to rise to 50 cents of every dollar that we collect. This is due to the debt we've already issued to fund our, waste, our water system improvement program and our sewer system improvement program and any new debt that will be issued to pay for our forthcoming 10-year capital plan. Specifically, the sewer system improvement program and large projects such as the biosolids digester program are driving large increases in debt issuances and this drive increases our operating budget costs. The small blue table on the right shows the current share of the operating budget by enterprise that is, goes towards paying for capital, uh, capital. And then how it will grow over the next 10 years in the column over to the right. By the end of the 10 years, two-thirds of wastewater's revenues will be paying for past or ongoing capital projects. Lastly, returning back to the chart on the left, um, it also highlights the power purchase, the second largest cost driver, and especially this past fiscal year. These increased costs, again, place significant pressure on power's budget, which has been taken into consideration as part of our planning. So now we reviewed the operating budget's mid-cycle changes and we demonstrated how capital is a major cost driver. We're gonna continue now with the 10-year capital plan, which is our main topic today. So what, what is the 10-year capital plan? It is a long-range forecast of capital investments that we make and we update annually as required by our charter. It is comprised of high-level project categories and projects that are informed by individual project data sheets with scope, scheduling, and costs. These last two are also included in your information packets if you would like to refer to them. Typically, we present a two-year capital budget, but for this year, as previously mentioned, it's a one-year budget, as we have explained. This plan will also be accompanied by a written report this year. This year, staff have worked diligently to mitigate increasing costs in the capital plan, and it is very important to our financial picture. We focused on ensuring we make these needed investments while ensuring affordability and deliverability. So why have we done this? Number one, we want to keep utilities affordable for our customers. Over the past 10 years, water and wastewater rates have both increased by over 75%. Upcoming financial plans project annual wastewater increases of over 9% and an increased combined water and wastewater utility bill of over, increasing to over 90% over the next 10 years. We've shown that capital costs are a growing share of our operating costs and that growing power purchases put further pressure on power's rates. In addition, there is an uncertainty about future regulatory operational obligation demands, which may significantly impact wastewater's budget and rates. And then second, we want to put a plan in place that is deliverable in the time frame that we plan for. There has been a historic misalignment between our budgets and actual spending that has led to large, ungrowing, unspent balances carrying forward each year. We want to only issue, though we issue debt just in time, when we need it, not addressing this misalignment does create multiple financial risks for our agency. 
This year, staff worked together to balance and develop an affordable and deliverable 10-year plan. This table highlights the changes from the requested expenditures in last year's proposal. We're proposing an $8.8 billion balanced capital plan. This is an 11% reduction from last year's requested $9.9 billion and represents the many hard choices we made as an agency together to manage capital spending. These areas include a careful review of construction schedules and adjusting for realistic deliverability, including use of unspent prior year appropriations, reducing costs in the out years to offset near-term increases and investment needs, and performing more diligent project prioritization, inclusive of risk assessments and consideration of potential unforeseen costs related to regulatory risk. We're proud of our work that we have done to right-size this capital plan, and we feel it represents the right balance between investment needs, affordability, and deliverability. Our enterprise AGMs will provide more details later about the projects that they included in their enterprise capital plans, as well as those that they have deprioritized. While we have made great strides in this cycle, we know there's still more work to do. We are now in an ongoing multi-year project to improve our capital planning and deliverability process with multiple work streams that will focus on planning, budgeting, management, contracting, resources, and other aspects which affect our planning and deliverability. Excuse me. <clears throat> this slide, this next slide here, details the proposed 10-year plan again, showing all 10 years by enterprise. Again, this is the $8.8 .8 billion, of which 75% is sourced from debt proceeds and 25% from annual revenues. This aligns with our commission's capital finance policy to fund a minimum of 15% of our capital plan from current revenues. Wastewater has the largest share at $4.9 billion in this 10-year plan, representing, over, overall, representing half of the overall plan even after they reduced their plan by $1.2 billion from their proposal last year. As previously mentioned, over 70% of the spending is in the first five years of the plan, largely due to the sewer system improvement program's investments in the early years of the plan, primarily for the biosolids digester facility. This includes uh, other major projects for water, such as the 2000 Marin uh, new facility and that of Mil the Millbrae Yards. <clears throat> This is also because of the efforts that we have made to control costs. You see these reductions largely in the later years. Okay. So we've just completed the overview of the proposed mid-year operating budget changes for current next fiscal year 23-24, and then that of the 10-year capital plan. This slide is focused on the proposed capital budget for next fiscal year 2023-24. That is the first year of the 10-year capital plan, and it will be subject to four separate supplementals, one for each enterprise that will be adopted by the mayor in July. As with the 10-year plan, the biggest share again here is wastewater, representing 71% of the year one capital budget. This is, again, primarily driven by the biosolids digester project, which is currently in the construction phase. The portions of the year one of the capital one plan, the capital plan for water and Hetch Hetchy water and power and clean power SF are as expected as staff did work hard to manage and spend down existing appropriations to manage their capital budget requests for this one for year one. Again, more of these details will be shared later by the AGMs for each of this, their enterprises. 
You might recognize this slide from our December meeting. Um, capital infrastructure requires a long-term planning effort. This slide details a longer timeline that represents our planned future capital spending. The total nears uh, $13 billion. The gray area represents the money that we've already appropriated via the budget, but not yet spent or encumbered as of January 1st. This is the unspent amount of the $1.7 billion we've referenced before, and we've highlighted throughout this today. The orange area is representative of the 10-year capital plan that is proposed before, proposed before you today for adoption. The smaller outline box represents the first year, next year, of the fiscal year 23-24 budget that will be appropriated. In total, that is the $8.8 .8 billion capital plan. The green portion is the post-10-year plan's forecasted capital need for completion of current projects. This is about $2.5 billion and does not include any new projects outside of the 10-year plan. So you can see that our 10-year plan is really truly a snapshot in time representing a portion of our rolling and ongoing capital investments and planning outlook. It is a lot of funding that we plan to spend in the future and that we are asking and seeking your approval for. Again, please note that 75% of our capital plan is debt funded and we issue debt as needed, which is basically right before we want to spend it or need to spend it. So all of this future planned spending here entails a significant amount of new debt that we will need to issue, which I will highlight in the next slide. So as noted earlier, all this commits the PUC to a large amount of debt in addition to an already large debt portfolio. Our current debt outstanding as of October 1st is approximately $7.4 billion in bonds, notes, and commercial paper, and an additional $2 billion in executed federal and state low-interest loans for a total of nearly $10 billion. The financial plans anticipates an additional $6.3 billion uh, dollars of new debt issuance by the end of fiscal year 2033. Again, capital represents the largest portion of our cap operating costs and therefore affects rates. Over the 10 years, capital costs will increase more than twice as fast as operating. You can see this in the chart here where it is represented in orange. More recently, at, this, at the City and County of San Francisco's Capital Planning Committee, they noted that they had a 3.25% cap on debt service as a percentage of revenues. As a comparison, our agency has projected 24.5% in next fiscal year. So this is a good note for our agency to begin considerations of how we can more effectively plan around our issuances of debt and how we fund our capital programs. The question really is, how much debt is too much? Again, by fiscal year 2033, at the end of 10 years, nearly half of the total operating budget will cover capital costs and that will be also two-thirds for wastewater. Increasing interest rates also drive up our borrowing costs. And a 30-year debt term means that our decisions today impact ratepayers' debt decades into the future. So we must consider our decisions seriously. With that, we'll finish with, with, next with a brief overview of the 10-year financial plan and explain how this ties to our financial sustainability and rate projections. The 10-year financial plan is required by our charter on an annual basis. It's where all our forecasts for operating and capital expenses, rates and revenues flow together. 
We will return to this commission on February 14th to present more on the 10-year outlook. Today, we will focus on how the budget feeds into the financial plan. The financial plan is not simply just inputting figures into our operating budget and capital plans. We do incorporate adjustments and assumptions to capture how and when expenses happen. First, operating expenses are based on, a, on the proposed fiscal year 23-24 budget combined with an execution factor. That is the factor that assumes how much will be spent in, an, in the year. Inflation is then factored in. For revenue-funded capital projects, cash is required the year of appropriation and is not sourced from the capital plan. For debt-funded capital projects, the capital finance team prepares a financial model to project when funds are needed in the future years and develops a capital financing schedule to optimize debt issuances. This means that for debt-funded projects, the expenditures aren't reflected in the financial plan until several years after they have been appropriated and costs are spread out over many years. Projecting sales volume is a primary component of preparing revenue projections. The majority of our revenue is from rates based on volumetric use of water, electricity, and then sewer outflows. Water and wastewater volumes are still recovering from large declines from the pandemic and ongoing drought. We forecast that sales will recover slowly to slightly below pre-pandemic levels by the end of next fiscal year 23-24 and will level out at a new normal by the end of 2025-26. Our assumptions include some permanent decreases in commercial water usage post-pandemic as the workforce has shifted to a hybrid remote work model and fewer people are commuting to the city each day. Unlike the other enterprises, <clears throat> Hetchy Power assumes not just changes in uses from existing customers, but projects significant growth in new customers as well. However, as we don't want to rely on solely on growth, the financial plan maintains conservative assumptions of when new projects will come online. The point here is that we plan around a worst-case scenario, and if there are surplus revenues, we leverage those to maintain lower rate increases in the future. As Clean Power SF has matured, they only assume minimal growth in their plan. The next couple slides will illustrate the historic and forecasted sales for water and Hetchy power. This graph here shows wholesale water sales in dark blue and retail sales in light blue. The shaded areas represent sensitivities around growth factored, around growth factored into our financial models. You can see the recent decline in sales due to the pandemic and drought, as well as the following recovery to the new normal in 2025-26. Uh, a note that we uh, wanted to make was that annual retail sales last year were 52.4 million dollar, excuse me, 52.4 million gallons per day, and were the lowest in our records going back three decades to 1992. After recovering from recent abnormal trends, sales volumes are impacted by long-term trends such as population growth and price elasticity. For Hetchy Power, you can see the same recovery from the pandemic's impact, though it is followed by a much higher annual growth rate from new customers from new redevelopment areas and infill sites as these uh, come online. For many years, uh, Hetchy Power's usage has been primarily municipal. This planned growth in retail non-municipal customers is a big shift for their enterprise. And as mentioned earlier, we do take a conservative approach 
when balancing our plans around growth by assuming delays to the schedule and lesser growth in the customer base. Similar to the capital plan, there are cost drivers for the financial plan. For expenditures, the largest focus is in two areas. The first is the capital plan itself, as it is significant and the annual revenue-funded capital and debt service on issued bonds are major cost drivers. We've already reviewed these increases earlier today and how they will affect our future debt service. In addition, interest rates are higher, meaning that the cost of borrowed money will increase for our capital projects. Then these various bulls do uh, add up. Second, for the operating side, many expenditure areas do experience basic inflation. However, the exception here are the power purchases for both Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF. And again, we did share those earlier as well. They have, uh, the power markets have experienced unprecedented increases in supply costs, and these have been discussed earlier today. We've spent a lot of time modeling these changes to refine our forecasts, and the budget for fiscal year 23, 24 incorporates these significant increases to power supply budgets along with larger budget contingencies to cover potential fluctuations beyond what we're forecasting. So how do these changes affect our forecasted rates? The table shows here shows the net rate impact for next fiscal year and the average rate change over the total 10-year period. We will provide more details on these rate changes at the February 14th Commission meeting. For water, wholesale rates are set by contract methodology. They will experience a large increase next year due to the way uh, their contract works, but there will be a decrease to lower levels in later years. Wastewater's increases are significantly higher due to pro current projects and the sewer system improvement program, specifically for the first five years of the capital plan. We expect 8 to 10% increases annually for the immediate near term. Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF have high short-term increases to address upcoming power supply costs, but will decrease in the later years of the plan. It's to note that Hetchy Power for next fiscal year's rates are, have not yet been adopted, and we will be back before you in April and May for approval of these rates. And then lastly, this final slide details the impacts of the rate increases that we just discussed on the combined water and wastewater utility bill for the average single-family residential household. We can see how the current monthly bill of $138 will grow to $224 by the end of the 10-year plan in 2033. It is a 90% increase in 10 years. While we only adopt a plan for 10 years, we do model out further to ensure we capture the full impact of the full capital improvement plan. And please note that there is a delay when rates are affected after a debt issuance. Projects in the later years of the plan don't start their rate impacts until after the 10 years that you see here. The outer years of the plan, post 10 years, include costs for ongoing capital repair and replacement and project costs. As shown, costs don't, increase, don't decrease, especially in wastewater. They are projected to grow, culminating to an average monthly bill of $305 20 years from now. The red dashed line represents our current affordability target, which says that the combined water and wastewater bill must be under 2.5% of the median household income. 
This plan does meet the target. However, we are in the process of reviewing alternative affordability metrics, as it can be very difficult to say that a bill of $100 is truly affordable. We'll be back before the commission later this spring with more information on proposed metrics that will look at the impact of our bills on customers who face a disproportionate burden from utility bills such as low-income households, large families, and communities of color. With that, this concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Holmes. That's, that was great. Um, colleagues, any questions, comments? Go ahead, please, Commissioner Balson. Just, this is a quick reminder, not on the exact metrics, but you talked about how this plan is, um, has all projects in place um, are being budgeted. Is there anything, and maybe this is a question to Dennis, just to remind me, are there any projects that could skew this up that are, that are on the books that we haven't already accounted for that could, you know, change, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, this modeling that you're doing for the 10-year plan and, and the report you have. Is there anything that we're missing? I mean, that's kind of a aura. big big and little question all at the same time. The plan represents what we know today. There are always things that could change. Yeah. Right. I, uh, but is there a big thing that's uh, just... Commissioner Paulson, just one thing. The 10-year capital plan is sort of, I think earlier, a snapshot in time, right? Right. So we are constantly looking at that to, uh, uh, to adjust priorities in the event that there is something that, um, uh, to your point, that would sort of alter things. But this represents, as we speak today, our, um, <clears throat> and what you will review today, our priorities, and that's what we've been going over over the course of the last year, is to function, okay, what are the priorities that we uh, see now? But it's not like we stop and it's totally static. Right. No, thanks for reminding me of that. I just wanted to ask ahead of time, are we missing anything? So thank you. Excellent. Commissioner Maxwell. Yes. Thank you for your presentation. Um, looking at the $8. billion that we have now, um, and it's reduced from $9.9 billion, um, and you said carefully one reason is because we are carefully reviewing construction schedules and adjusting for realistic deliverabilities. Well, what were we doing before? I mean, we weren't doing this prior to, to the, when we came up with the 9.9 .9 billion. What were we doing? What was our modeling? What, why are we, it seems like we're doing it now, but we weren't doing it before. I wouldn't specifically say that staff are not doing this before. I think that there has <clears throat> been a renewed focus on how, on how you know, we can do capital planning and deliverability. And that focus is looking at our processes internally and how we divide, derive this information, you know, the staff, the staffing, the resources, you know, methodology. And so, I wasn't sure if you wanted to say something. And so staff, our, our strategic uh, strategy improvement and change bureau have begun a capital planning and deliverability program that will look at how we deliver our projects. So this has begun a couple months ago, and so far this, this small but mighty team has gathered over 30 staff uh, from different enterprises and the bureaus to come together to look at various areas. Um, these include staffing, contracting, procurement. I had briefly mentioned this. And so a lot of, some of the, there's a three-phase project. The first two were to look at the actual methodologies and how we do that. It was very just in time 
um, for our capital, our capital plan development for, you know, that we're presenting here today. And some of those, some of those things have come, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you think that if we had done this before, that maybe we wouldn't be in this position? I mean, you know, I, I just, when you say things like diligently project, it, it means like maybe it wasn't as diligent before. And, and maybe, you know, that's, that's a concern I have going forward that maybe our project management wasn't what it could have been and our financial and our budget management wasn't what it could have been. So, you know, I, I'm just concerned that it seems like maybe okay. we weren't doing this before. Well, before I hand it over to uh, AGM Robinson here, I, I do want to clarify it. That's not my intent of what I just said. I feel like I like to emphasize the importance of due diligence and looking at how we do our processes. And that does not mean that staff who had previously worked on this before or previous groups had not done that. I think that when you're looking at process improvement, it is something that improves over time. They may be new methodologies, new ways, how, how we look at projects, how we, how we find, you know, do our financial models. I'll turn the rest over to Steve in a moment, but you know, business process improvement is an ongoing thing. It, it is a, it's a cycle, it's a process, and I think that as you bring more methodologies, you look at your changing workforce, you look at your processes, the environment, and I think that is what you call by due diligence. Morning, Commissioner Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Um, in addition, I, I think it would be helpful to kind of mention two things. One, that the work we need to do is growing. We have three enterprises, all with very each individual unique needs. Um, certainly, the wastewater side that I'm more familiar with has a history of assets that are now coming of age and need to be reinvested in. So, the understanding of those needs, we do condition assessment, and now working with all three enterprises, the programs themselves are growing, coming from where we started with WISIP 20 plus years ago. Secondly, I think I would also add that the, the market conditions in the world around us has changed significantly in the last few years. When we presented the unbalanced budget a year ago, it was an acknowledgement and a realization, I think, to shine a light on the fact that we actually do have more needs than we have sources to be able to fund them. So it gave us this last year to pause and to go to greater depths, so I think, and to reevaluate with new perspective of how we need to look at those things and where we go from here. So our needs are growing at the same time the market conditions around us and the affordability of what we can invest in has changed. So I think all the words around extra due diligence and extra care to go now is providing a more unified approach to how we look at it together as an agency. Any additional comments? Uh, yes, Commissioner, uh, yes. President Ajami. Go ahead, please, uh, Commissioner Rivera. Yes, I had one question for Nancy, please. Um, and it's uh, regarding our uh, ratepayer forecasting. Does our 10-year ratepayer forecasting include the state of California's mandatory and aggressive housing plan uh, increases for uh, the Bay Area? Erin yeah. um, Franks, uh, Acting Director of Financial Planning. Hi, yes, so we do use the urban water management plan that forecasts uh, the need for water supply growth over the next 40 years. However, we're starting from the current sales volumes, which that plan starts from a larger sales volume. So since right now growth is down due to COVID and drought, we're using the population forecast that is the trend line, but not the um, starting point. 
So, Aaron, are you saying that we're not we're not taking into consideration the state's um, aggressive housing development plan that they're implementing um, in the Bay Area? Or is that correct? We are in that we're assuming that population growth is on the trend line that the um, city is planning for. However, um, right now, we have had a lot of uh, population decline. I'm sure you've seen the news stories lately about how San Francisco has lost residents. And so we're starting from a lower level than the most recent uh, population forecast in our water sales planning, which have us before COVID. Thank you. Go ahead, please. Um, thank you again. When you said that we are reducing, um, oh, we are, uh, it says planning for use of unspent prior appropriations before requesting new funds. Why were we doing that in the past? I mean, I, I look at if I'm getting my kitchen refinanced, um, you know, and I'm going to do my, I'm not going to go and get more money before my, I'm finished or, you know, so how, why were we doing that before? I mean, you, you say that planning for use of unspent prior appropriations. So we, we, we request new funds every year for, for new projects that do come online. Mm -hmm. And so when a, project is, when a project is approved, you know, and the financing has, has put into, been placed, put into place for that project, those funds are dedicated to that project. And so the question is, you know, when will the project start on time? And if it does, that's great. And if it doesn't, it will start at a later date. You know, those funds are, are not to be, they're not typically wouldn't be out reallocated to another project. So every year we come before you to request new funds and those funds are again for new projects. And that would include the budget appropriate, uh, that was appropriated for a previous, pre previous capital plan. Um, hi, my name's Laura Bush, I'm the budget director. As Nancy said, we do request a new appropriation every year. Typically, it's been a two-year appropriation. Um, as she explained, in December, we only did a one-year appropriation last year. We're trying to get this unspent balance into con under control a little bit better. Um, as um, AGM Robinson said, the capital plan has increased a lot, a lot over the last decade, um, which has led to these unspent balances growing and growing and growing. We put in a place a capital plan that we think is deliverable, um, and we have our project schedules in place, but things get delayed for unforeseen reasons, many different factors. Um, so that just means projects get pushed out a bit, and we don't spend at the rate we plan to, which has led to that growing balance um, that through this process we're trying to get a handle on by more diligently reviewing project schedules, more diligently looking at the deliverability and the true actual money that we can get out of the door before we request new funds. So that's why you see, especially in Hetchy Power and, and to some extent Water as well, the, the first year request for the FY23-24 budget is lower than you might expect given looking at the other years. That's because we've looked really hard and done a lot of work on how can we spend those existing balances before we ask for more funds. Excellent. Um, now, I have a series of questions. Um, really appreciate the, you know, going through the um, presentation. I think a couple of things that comes to mind. Uh, first of all, I want to highlight a few things. One is, um, I think AGM Robinson mentioned this, which is we have taken advantage of or 
benefited from the investments that was made in our water, wastewater, and energy systems many years ago, and many of those infrastructures coming, obviously, to the end, end of their lifetime, and we need to replace them. Now, what keeps me, up night, keeps me up at night is, are we investing in the right things? And you have heard me saying this over and over. And are we really thinking about how, in the next 20 years, 30 years, how our infrastructure needs to look like? And is that our money going to those needs, right? For example, uh, you know, a couple of facts that you have mentioned here, which are quite important. One is um, the uncertainty with uh, regulatory process, and part part of that part partly that's driven because we have more knowledge about how we need to operate our systems, and uh, there are much more stringent regulations put in place because we have to take care of the environment, since it's it's quite. Uh, instrumental to our survival, and also because of impacts of climate change and the way things are changing. So there needs to be a different approach to how we manage our wastewater, how much water we take out of the environment, what, had, what kind of energy we are using, right? And then also the stressors that are coming at us, which we didn't anticipate before. Last 20 years, we have been more in dry and drought years than wet years, right? We had 2017, we had uh, 2010, and then we had this year, which we are crossing on fingers that it's going to last, right? So, um, and then we had COVID. Who would have thought COVID would happen, right? And there's no guarantee some other shock is not going to come into our system a couple of years from now. The reason I, I go through this long list is I look at our the proportion between our debt service and operating cost and worries me that if the blue line is not going to change, the blue bar in, uh, let me see which figure that is, sorry, just to make sure we're all talking about the same, page 17, I mean, slide 17, debt service always comes first, um, right? We have to pay our debt. And if the revenue, which is the source of our you know, covering our costs is quite uncertain. If we don't know the next COVID, how the next next uh, shock or stressor in our system is going to impact our revenue from, um, you know, people using less water, people moving out of the Bay Area, whatever, whatever that could be. Then is that, does that mean that um, then we have to not spend enough money on our main operation and maintenance because we have to pay at debt. So that relationship, that 30% to 50% we talked about right now, it's super important because we want to make sure we have enough money that we can operate our systems and keep them in a healthy shape for the next 100 years, right? So that's one thing that sort of worries me very much, uh, that change in proportion and going from 30% to 50% um, that was mentioned. Um, the second thing is, um, I also want to acknowledge, I really appreciate how staff worked hard to uh, access the bipartisan infrastructure bill money, law money, and also the Inflation Reduction Act money. That, that was really good and smart because that really impacted the, way, the amount of money that we had to pay. So that's great. Um, so I, I acknowledge that. Uh, but going back to shocks, I, another very great example of that is what we are experiencing with power this year, right? Almost 
you know, fourfold increase in our power cost. Who would have thought, right? So it's like all those things, all, all those unanticipated stuff, they're happening. So I would like to say we need to run more scenarios when we are doing this budget analysis. Uh, I think Commissioner Paulson mentioned this too. Not, I mean, not the scenario piece, but what should we anticipate? What are the things we are not expecting but may happen, right? What are the risks that we are not anticipating? Um, the second thing is, um, I mean, maybe this is the fifth thing, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with wastewater, for example, I, that's another thing that constantly keeps me up at night. As people use less water, right, both in retail and um, wholesale market, the rates for wastewater is going to decrease, but our stormwater uh, amount that we have to process, the amount that we have to release is going to increase. There's no uh, doubt that we're going to experience more the extreme uh, precipitation that we somehow have to manage, right? So trying to anticipate those changes and how they come at us is very important. And wastewater, not, it's, this is not just us. Every wastewater utility across the country is looking back at their, how are they setting their rates, how are they collecting money, what is the future of wastewater? From regulatory processes to recycling and how that is changing the flow to, um, to uh, impacts from uh, different extremes that we are experiencing. So I think, you know, this long thing, like all these comments I made, is to say that I would like for us to be a little bit more, do even more due diligence when we are doing short-term and long-term budgeting. And I, I've had conversations with um, the finance team. I really would like for us, when you're looking at rates, reconsider rate-setting processes, partly not just for water, but water, wastewater, and power, because we have to somehow figure out how we need to get off the volumetric rate and figure out how we can recover our cost, cost of service in different ways that is much more sustainable in the long run. Um, and uh, the last thing I would say is, uh, oh, and then you mentioned something else which I want to acknowledge that. I appreciate using new methods, new ways of looking at things. I think that's key. And I would like for us to look, go back, and I think this is for uh, General Manager Herrera and the entire team. We need to bring in more ideas or some people who are actually their day job is to constantly track what is going on out there and how we can take advantage of that. All of you have your day jobs that are quite overwhelming by itself, so you can't do it all, right? So making sure we have positions that are, their job is to focus on what is what are the new innovations coming down the pipeline? What should we anticipate? What is coming next? That kind of prediction is something we need to have in-house and invest in because we want to make sure we are on top of this um, and not ending up in a situation that, um, you know, unexpected things that would cost us a lot of money to change path. And promise this is the last thing, which is as we are looking at this capital budget, as we are looking at the next 10 years, next 20 years, next year, I really, really want for all of us to think, are we investing in the right things? Because remember, every dollar we spend today is a dollar that we don't have next year 
but we may need, but we might be spending it in a wrong thing, and 30 years from now, we may look back and say, what were we thinking, right? So we have all this money coming in. We are trying to make an investment. We are trying to renew our infrastructure that's aging, and you know, we are trying to operate it and maintain it in the best of its shape. But please, please, please make sure we are, as we are moved, going through this journey together, we are investing in the future, not the past. And that is something that, again, uh, you, you have heard me saying this, and I want to continue pressing on it because I would appreciate if you come back to us and say, we looked at this, this solution might not work if we have five storms coming within one month and we get all our precipitation within a month that we were supposed to get in six months, right? This is not going to operate. Or we had this conversation with algal bloom and the fact that we are going to get more regulations around nitrate and how we manage nitrate, right? I want you to predict, anticipate, and tell us what to do rather than continuing on a safe path of reinvesting in the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. That's, I, I really want to leave you with that. Um, I'm not sure if any of those had the answer that you want to give, uh, but you, you know these are the things that, as I was going through this list, was keep popping at me, and I wanted to make sure I bring it up. Sure. Um, if if I might, okay. uh, Commissioner, thank you for your for your comments, and I want to say um, it, it kind of goes to, um, and this is I know that uh, both you and Commissioner Maxwell uh, asked some questions and had a comment, and it also to, to Commissioner Paulson's comment. Uh, or question, I think that it's everybody recognizes that there is an unpredictable future. And um, the whole reason for this exercise over the course of the last year was to do exactly what it is that you are talking about. And to Commissioner Maxwell's point, when I came in, I wanted to make sure that we were being as thoughtful and creative and responsible as we possibly can. So that what has been what this whole exercise has been about for the last year is to prioritize as you're talking about but that's not something that ends with today which i oh, think is absolutely. what you are getting at right yep. and it's constantly thinking constantly strategizing constantly looking for new ways to do things whether it be new priorities like commissioner maxwell has mentioned to me about nutrients or um, a whole variety of things and that's why this is not this is not the tenure plant is not static right. and it requires that we do everything that you are talking about and that we do change perhaps in terms of our approach from what we did before and that's what we're trying to focus on and what this exercise has been about and what you have my commitment about that we are going to continue going forward and so I appreciate every all three of your questions and comments because I think it's all getting at one side different sides of the same coin and um, it's something that we all recognize that we have to think strategically about how it is that we balance those things about affordability, deliverability, and unpredictability about what the future holds so we can be uh, nimble right. at what it is that we respond to. And I think on the affordability side, I think that's really, I know 75% looks like a big number, but the question is from where? right, 75% of a dollar or $100, right? So I think being able to understand that how, you know, we have gone a long time benefiting from what we have had, right? And, you know, we need to invest. 
we need to be thoughtful about what we are investing in. But we also need to, I really appreciate the focus on affordability because we also don't want to leave people behind. So that's another piece that is super important. So I appreciate your commitment, and I, wanted, I think you want to say something, so I want to give you a chance. Sure. Get my hand up, too. Uh, okay. Um, ahead, real, real quickly, I wanted to share that, you know, we do have guiding financial policies um, at the SFPC, and these do include the rate payer assurance policy, capital finance policy, and debt policies. And we, we review these uh, yearly, and I believe we will be before you later this spring to, to, show you, to, to review those with you and provide any updates. I appreciate that. Thank you. Go ahead, please. Great. Um, so thank you for the, for the presentation, and I really um, think it was, you know, as, as thorough and as diligent as I had expected it to be. So I, I really do appreciate it. And I do want to, um, I do have a question um, that is, um, you know, and, and frankly, I was waiting with bated breath for where your question was because the wheelbarrow of issues that you talked about were um, were very um, very thorough, um, to say the least. But I, I have a specific question um, about um, if you could elaborate a little bit more on the um, regulatory demands that might be coming up, that specific uh, bullet point that you talked about, the uncertainty about that. If you could just maybe do a quick elaboration of, of what that might be. Um, I, and okay. I mean, you uh, put that in okay. there as an uncertainty, and I just okay. wanted to maybe hone uh, down on that just a little bit, please. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Deputy General Manager Ron Flynn. Um, the references to the um, upcoming regulatory um, um, items is some of what you have discussed today, which is that there are all kinds of new things going on in the world. We saw algae blooms, we see storms, we see all kinds of things. Um, and so we are anticipating, we plan for those. There are also matters which are in um, um, currently in litigation which we're not at liberty to discuss in open format um, and so but it is it is our way of letting you know that we are looking at those things and we okay. anticipate having to come to you to discuss them um, and we are anxious to do so as soon as we can okay it was more of a place saver than a, a bullet that could be fully explained and i, I get i get the point thank that you. is correct thank you Excellent. I think Commissioner Stacy, are you trying to make a comment? Your, your name didn't come out. I, try, I saw you're trying. Go Thank ahead. Thank you. Please. I uh, really appreciate the information and all of the questions. I just want to confirm a couple of my understandings based on some of the questions that uh, President Ujami, um asked. When, uh, on slide 17, when we see capital proportion going up as compared to the operating budget, I think I heard Mr. Robinson say that a lot of that, it will be attributable to repair and replacement and making sure that we are maintaining the system. And that shows up as part of the capital budget. Is that? Yes. Is that, okay, good. <laughs> and then, uh, these may be more specific questions for the water and wastewater AGMs, but on slide 14, I, I see that um, the, the amounts of uh, money in the capital plans go down for a few years in uh, maybe five or six years out. And then in year 10, fiscal year 32 and 33, 
both water and wastewater go up quite a bit. I, I, I am assuming that the AGMs will talk about that a little bit, but I was thinking that that may be part of um, what comes up in the future, whether it's a change in the requirements for wastewater or a change in what we, um, the PUC, think we need to do for wastewater um, for the environment. And I think Bosca asked a similar question on the water system, and that may also be anticipating some new recycling projects or some other uh, water supply projects. And I'll be interested to hear from the water and wastewater AGMs about that sort of long term. I think uh, President Dejami has, uh, has asked, are we looking to the future? You know, can we anticipate what is um, often we're not able to anticipate, and, and I know that um, this careful look at the capital plan that, that the PUC staff really is trying to think about what can we anticipate in the future and how can we be nimble and proactive in responding to it and trying to anticipate it, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate this very um, thorough look and all of the information on the capital plans, but I'll be interested to hear from the water and wastewater AGMs about that sort of 10-year uh, outlook. So thank you. All right. Okay. With that, I, I'm, I'm assuming um, this will come up during the water and wastewater. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, can we? Thank you so much. Can thank we you. have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, the staff presentation and overview of the proposed budget priorities, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number three? Ms. Sankula. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankula, Bosca CEO. First, I'm pleased to be here before you to participate in this workshop. We did send a letter um, I'm not going to reiterate it. Um, I appreciate the commissioners looking at it, and I hope you find the points very valid. It included 10 questions, and I'm certainly looking forward to the answers from your staff. Um, there are a couple things, though, that I do want to call out. Um, first, there was a uh, reference to a strategy implementation and change work group, um, and I was pleased when I heard that that was being put forth. If you recall, when we spoke before you last year, we were very concerned that the capital plan did not have sufficient robustness in a way that you could actually implement it, and that work group was the supposed answer. We actually met with them on July 19th and never heard again. So one of my concerns is, and I think partially what some of you are struggling with is, no update on what happened, and honestly, from what I can see, it's hard to discern the meat of what that group did. I'm not questioning they did anything, but it's just nothing that's evident in a way that you can really understand it, and that's certainly my struggle. The other uh, additional comment that I will add, uh, Commissioner Rivera asked about the projections for purchases. Um, I will point you to figure 20 in the presentation, or I guess page 20 in the figure on page 20, um, and we also commented on this. Those wholesale water purchase projections in no way reflect the required land use plans and housing plans that all the states are, are all the 
areas, jurisdictions, are required to adopt by today, I believe it is, and send to the state of California, or they will be fined and all sorts of things, whatever that is. Um, those projections on that page do not represent adopted urban water management plans. They have nothing to do with that. So um, I get concerned about that and certainly concerned about that response. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Moderator. Any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, we do have two callers with their hands raised. First caller, I've been muted your line. You have two minutes. My name is Francisco da Costa. This presentation does disservice to the taxpayer. It has no vision. And what I see missing is none of y'all can do a needs assessment. I just attended a conference on Saturday at Berkeley from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock, TEDx. Some of y'all should have been at that conference. Y'all don't do a needs assessment on the contractors. Your manager, your general manager and assistant general have no clue about vertical and horizontal construction. We need an audit on those contractors, MWH, AECOM, Webco. They are making money. The machine is making money. And here they are trying to project something 10 years from now. The housing element mandates 82,000 homes, whereas the financial district has over 45 million square feet of commercial space vacant. How do you figure that into this equation? Who is pulling rules in broad daylight over the taxpayer? I can go on and on and on, but you will give us a measly two minutes. I am going to address this on my blog in detail. In detail, you all need to be sued. And I know they are forming a group. You all need to be sued. And you all need to be sued in the billions. In the billions, I tell you. You all stole the land. Thank you, Colin. Your time has expired. Next caller, I have unmuted your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. Good morning. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. The long-term vulnerability assessment including some really important information. For example, the full 8.5-year design drought at 240 MGD demand, which is 31% greater than fiscal year 2021-22 demand, would require 1,309,000 acre-feet of storage. So that's 1.309 million acre-feet of storage. As you know, total system storage is 1.471 million acre-feet. And if we assume that 96,000 acre-feet is dead storage, that brings usable storage to 1.375 million acre-feet. The design drive always starts with full storage. So 1.375 million acre-feet minus 1.309 million acre-feet uh, for the design drought at 240 million gallons per day, 
results in 66,000 acre feet left in storage at the end of the drought. Now, the LTVA didn't model the Bay Delta plan flows, despite the fact that we requested that numerous times. But according to the long-term vulnerability assessment, the Bay Delta plan flows are equivalent to a 15% increase in demand. This suggests that at 209 MGD demand, which is higher than the 188 MGD forecasted in your 10-year financial plan, and is 15% less than the 240 MGD modeled, we could assume the same outcome as I cited above with the Bay Delta plan flows in place, and that's for the 8.5-year design draft, which we think is unreasonable. The alternative water supply plan is due in July, and I don't think any of the considered capital projects are included in this budget. So this is an opportunity to avoid unnecessary expensive projects in the future, but you need to address the length of the design drought and water demand projections soon in order to make wise investments. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, another caller has joined the queue. Next caller, you have two minutes. Can you hear me now? Yes, loud and clear. Great. <clears throat> David Philpel. Um, sorry, I've missed the last uh, few meetings and I was delayed uh, due to a Board of Supervisors uh, meeting earlier. Uh, I'm sorry I did not hear the presentation, but I have reviewed the slides and I appreciate the staff uh, work on this. Uh, I may have some more specific comments on later items and other uh, comments that I can share with uh, staff um, in the next uh, few days. Uh, but I am uh, generally uh, pleased with the uh, staff work, and although I was uh, concerned last year about having an unfunded capital plan, I think uh, the work in the past year uh, to address uh, the capital uh, plan issues, uh, including project uh, delivery and capacity and various other things, uh, has been uh, good, and that time has been uh, well used. And um, I would note that this is probably uh, my, you know, something like 35th year of monitoring the uh, SFPUC budget uh, on and off. So uh, I don't know if that gives me some seniority, but um, I certainly am familiar with the PUC budget up, down, and sideways. So thank you uh, for listening, and um, that's my public comment on this item. Appreciate it. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, there are no more in the queue. Thank you, public comment. And item number three is closed. Excellent. Thank you. Um, colleagues, if there are no more, for, no more comments, we can, uh, Madam Secretary, could we please read the next item? Next item is item number four, the Water Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan. Good morning, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. If I can have the slides, please. Um, I'm going to speak about the, the Water Enterprise Capital Plan, um, and just one thing to point out about it as we get into it, uh, there are really two components of it. One is the local capital plan within the city and county of San Francisco for our retail customers, uh, and then the regional plan that is for outside San Francisco. The following presentation after this is Hetch Hetchy Water, which takes care of the upcountry portion. So, uh, in effect, what we're dealing, what I'm dealing with here is, is three capital plans, local, regional and Hetchy Water, uh, but now we'll focus on local and regional, which are uh, umbrellaed by the Water Enterprise Capital Plan. 
Um, just a little bit of background, as I always like to present on the water system, that again, it is a very large, very old water system spanning the width of California. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's anchored by uh, eight reservoirs, uh, three upcountry, two in the East Bay, and three on the peninsula. Uh, we have two point, uh, excuse me, about 1.8 million customers outside of San Francisco, uh, and they are represented in this diagram here. San Francisco is on it as well, because for the regional water system, San Francisco is just another customer. Uh, so that you have uh, this large kind of fish hook pattern around the south end of the bay that represent where our customers are in San Mateo, Alameda, and Santa Clara counties. Um, this is the system schematic that we often use, uh, and so it shows uh, our major storage, treatment, and transmission facilities throughout the system. Um, what we're going to talk about as in this part here about the water enterprise is really to the left side of that. Uh, on the Hetchy side, we'll talk about you know uh, the right side of this diagram. Uh, but also on the left side, uh, we have our friends, the three bright red lines, which are the fault lines we have to deal with. So a lot of our capital planning always has to take into account uh, those concerns. Uh, and lastly, as far as background, uh, were the 2008 Water Enterprise Level of Service Goals that were adopted. Uh, and they were really uh, a big push in the, in the WISIP program, and I think were a, represented a major planning milestone for San Francisco in terms of trying to be very clear on what it is we're actually doing as part of delivery. It's one thing to say, yeah, we deliver water. Well, what does that mean? And so in those uh, level of service goals, we got into it. And so uh, in much more detail that made it actually very useful for planners and designers. Uh, and not to uh, be the dead horse, but that means you know water quality, seismic reliability, delivery reliability, water supply, sustainability, and cost effectiveness are, are all important things and really serve as the basis for us in terms of how our capital plan is developed. Those are the levels of service we're trying to achieve, uh, and that's where we you know use start as the jumping off point for what's going to be in our capital plan. Um, as has been talked about uh, in terms of the water enterprise capital plan development, uh, we've emphasized spending down available balances. You know, how they come about, there's various factors there. The fact that they're there is something that, that we've dealt with this year, and, and how do we make sure, actually we dealt with it a bit last year as well. You'll see on a future slide that last year's request was actually relatively small uh, as well. So it's been a priority the last two years in trying to make sure we get that more under control. Uh, and this year we did work closely with infrastructure staff on deliverability, uh, combing through the potential project several times to verify spending ability. Uh, some of that spending is in the enterprise and some of the, a lot of the spending, of course, is in, is in infrastructure and contracts. And so, um, you know, that's when, you know, managers need to ask the hard questions of, this is a great plan, but will we have the contracts in place? Will we have the staff in place? Will we have made the decisions to make sure those things are there? And, and we need to be asking those questions continually uh, to make sure we're spending on the right track. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we prioritize by making various cuts uh, that I have to admit were painful. Uh, I think there, there's no doubt about it. It wasn't that the, the prior plan was, was, you know, full of fluff. You know, it has important things in it, and so I'll actually talk about a couple of areas where we made cuts that uh, we'll be addressing coming up. Uh, but the cuts were necessary. 
you know, we, we just, you know, aren't going to have to be able to spend that money, so we did need to get to a, a right, right level. Um, this is the uh, focused version of the Water Enterprise 24 to 33 10-year capital improvement program, uh, and it shows uh, lines for regional and local, uh, the total water, and actually, uh, this is what I have to think about. Regional and local are, e are, are each one about the same size. They're both about, about $1.1 billion. Uh, so that's the amount of spending that it takes in the San Francisco system as well as in the regional system, uh, in our opinion, for a total of about $2.2 billion. Uh, as we talked about, uh, the, uh, there is a, a higher level of spending in some of the earlier years. And that's because we have some very big projects there that I'll, that I'll highlight later on. But uh, one of the challenges when you do a CIP is there are certain uh, levels of spending that are, you, you can spread out over time. And there are certain big projects, and when they come along, it's, you know, we, there's always the notion of the pig in the python. Well, that's, that's what we have uh, in our projects here, uh, three or four really significant projects that, that have to skew our resources and skew our spending in a way that uh, one of our challenges is how do we how do we make that work out over a 10-year plan? Uh, but they're there, the expenditures are there, and so that's what the plan represents is how we think we should deal with that. Uh, this is a by category the regional 10-year capital plan. So we have water treatment, water transmission, water supply and storage, watersheds and land management, communications and monitoring, buildings and grounds, and long-term monitoring and permit issues. Uh, those are the categories that show up in our plan and as part of your package, I presume is the my favorite document, the 11 by 17 spreadsheets that really lay out this in great detail. And that's, that's kind of the Bible I go back to a lot to see where we are. Uh, but in this shortened version here, uh, I'd like to point out a few lines. First, in the water treatment program, you see in the first two years, uh, there's about uh, you know, $250 million worth of spending. Uh, and those are in particular, particular projects that I will bring up uh, later uh, as we get to the detail there. But that's, that's a big deal there. Uh, in water transmission, uh, years 25 through 28, we have a higher than normal uh, uh, spending plan. Uh, that's for some major transmission line work that we have to do on the peninsula uh, that is part of the program. Uh, the water supply and storage program, uh, there are some dam projects there and alternative water supplies. And I'll talk particularly about the alternative water supplies later because we did make significant cuts in what was in the plan, but what was in the plan were more placeholder numbers. And as we move forward this year, uh, as uh, I believe Peter Dreckmeyer mentioned in his comments, we have a plan due to the commission by July 1st about you know, how we should proceed with our alternative water supplies. And I think at that time, we will be looking to the commission ultimately to make some decisions about you know, how we go forward with that program. That may have budget implications for next year where we will have to do some possibly reprioritizing around that. Uh, so that, that's a hint for everybody, staff and commission included, that you know, each year you always have to deal with the issues on an ongoing basis. You can't, you can't do it just once and say, oh, we did the prioritization, we're done. Uh, it will change over time. Uh, and then lastly, the buildings and grounds program line, which is uh, two up, uh, three up from the bottom. Uh, you see in 27 and 28, 
significant spending, uh, and that is relative to a major project at our Melbray facility. Now I'm going to turn to the two-year program, uh, and that's where you see uh, the 21-22 approved budget uh, for the regional program was $63 million. Uh, the 22-23 approved budget was actually less. It was actually $47 million. Uh, but then you see it jumps up significantly in 23-24 to $180 million. And that is really driven by the water treatment program. That's where the, the big money is. Uh, and those are uh, projects at the Snow Treatment Plant area that I'll talk about in a little bit of detail later on. Uh, but that's where one of those large projects can actually skew uh, what the budget looks like and how you have to deal with it. So if you didn't have that project uh, or assumed it was much smaller, uh, that bottom line number would be much more in line with what the prior numbers were. Turning to the local program, um, this has you know some different categories. This is the way the local pro, uh, program is, is broken up. It's a little different. Water supply projects, local water conveyance and distribution, systems monitoring and control, local tanks and reservoirs, pump stations, groundwater, recycled water, automated meter reading system, uh, and buildings and grounds improvements. Uh, and here, there are really two things to point out. Uh, one is, that second row, uh, the local water conveyance and distribution system, that's the single biggest number here. Uh, a lot of that is our water main replacement program, which constitutes, um, last time I checked, it was you know almost 70% of the local capital program is in our main replacement program. So that's, that's just you know, a fact of life. We have to deal with it. It is really a big program on an ongoing basis, and it's ongoing. That is a never-stop program uh, into the future. Uh, the second thing to highlight here is down in the buildings and grounds improvements uh, line. Uh, you see in fiscal 25, actually, yeah, fiscal 24, there's zero. Great. Uh, but in fiscal 25 and fiscal 26, we have significant investments uh, that will be going into the 2000 Marin project. So that's another one of those very large projects that represents a, a challenge to fit into the capital program. So looking at Oops, occasionally I do that. Looking at uh, the 23-24 capital budget, again, 21-22 is 125 million, 22-23 it dropped down to 53 million, uh, and 23-24 it's bumped back up to about 108 million. Uh, and you see in that for the 23-24 budget, about $88 million uh, is in the local water conveyance and distribution system. That's main replacement uh, and lead service line uh, replacement. So that's a, those are two very important projects for us. But again, that's a, that really skews the whole program right in that, that program area. So just an overall word about the prioritization uh, of our program. Uh, the primary reductions were really taken in two places. They were taken in the local water main replacement program uh, and the regional alternative water supplies programs. Those were the two largest programs, and so they represented, uh, you know, significant areas where we could make some decisions and reduce those. Uh, on the local water main replacement, this is an ongoing issue for us. I think we're in the process of reevaluating uh, 
what we developed back in 2012, which is a, a view of our life expectancy of our system. We're about to redo that uh, so that we've got, you know, maybe a, a better handle on that in, uh, in, the, in the future, uh, partly driven by the types of materials we're using. So uh, there will be, you know, we'll be coming back and revisiting that in the next couple of years uh, as a way to maybe we should increase it or maybe we can, you know, get along with a lower level of investment. I think that's a bit of an open question for us that we need to answer. Uh, the second is on the regional alternative water supplies. Uh, and as I mentioned, we'll be presenting to the commission a, an alternative water supply plan by July 1st of this year. This is a deliverable based on a resolution the commission adopted, I believe, in 2017, calling for us to produce such a plan by July 1st, 2023. Uh, and based on consideration of that plan, uh, we will make rec recommendations in next year's and following year's budget processes. So it's, we, you know, we maintained the funding that we had proposed previously for the first three years, but we cut it dramatically in the out years. And partly, those were just placeholder numbers. They weren't real, you know, refined cost estimates. I think that's where we're going to start getting once we have the plan and we can see where the investments need to occur and consider how that fits into the priorities going forward. Uh, we made other, direction, other reductions spread through different program areas. Uh, and they were really to keep any one area from bearing too much of the burden. Uh, so there were smaller reductions here and there, but the two big ones really were in main replacement and alternative water supplies. Um, but I, I, I will submit that the result is still a very robust program. Uh, I've, I've had these conversations over the years and people would say, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I said, well, if we did this, 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 and this, wouldn't that feel like real progress? And the answer was yes, because those are important things to do. So I always want to step back and say, yes, we may have reduced some things, but the things we're going to get done are really important uh, and really contribute to a robustness of the program uh, of $2.3 billion in the combined regional and local. So now I'll get to some of the project-specific stuff. Um, this is 10-year CIP funding. Uh, first is on the Snow Valley Water Treatment Plant, which that's an aerial shot of it there at the, at the bottom of, there of the treatment plant, which actually did get a number of upgrades in the WISIP program. Uh, the single biggest project is the addition of ozone treatment, um, which is basically for taste and odor control and disinfection byproduct control. Uh, it's something that we do have at the Harry Tracy plant, but we don't have at this plant. Um, and I, I will personally attest to in December of 2016, we had a huge taste and odor problem throughout the water system, uh, and uh, it was due to not having this kind of treatment in place at Snow. Uh, and people, it's one, of the, it's, it's one of those things that people remember more than anything else. It's, oh yeah, I remember when the water tasted really bad. Um, and because I kept hearing that for years after. And so this is really an important thing. If, if, if people don't like the water, you have a bigger problem than almost anything else when it comes to your water supply. Uh, so it's a very relatively expensive project, at least larger relative to other things, uh, but it's a very important one. Uh, but we also have short-term improvements there uh, and adding a polymer feed facility. Polymer is how you get to treat the water better by agglomerating particles. Uh, but those collectively are in the next three years in the program. So that's a big investment in Sunol that is a big part of our program on the regional side. On the 
uh, regional side, we have various dam projects. Uh, we have uh, Pillar Cetos Dam improvements and San Andreas Dam improvements uh, and Calaveras Reservoir expansion. On the first two, these are improvements we're going to be needing to make uh, at both those facilities, uh, largely in terms of outlet facilities, but maybe even some dam stability issues. Uh, one of the things that I think we've highlighted starting back in 2017 when uh, uh, Oroville Dam had the issues that really, you know, caught lots of people's attention there uh, about the weaknesses that could occur in dams. Uh, and I always like to say all of our dams are much older than Oroville, and they've done just fine, so we're not in that kind of situation. But they are older, and there are things that need to be done. And there's been a lot of increased scrutiny on uh, dam safety. And so these are kind of just some of the first of dam projects we'll be needing to deal with down the road uh, throughout the water system. Um, just because, you know, that's, they're old, they need attention, and that's what we plan to give them. So we'll see another project or two later on on the Hetchy side. Uh, the Calaveras Reservoir expansion is a, looks like a teeny-weeny little number uh, in the 10-year program, and it is. Uh, but that's where, when we reconstructed, when we constructed the immediately new downstream Calaveras replacement dam, we constructed it in a way that it could be increased in size in the future. Uh, so that is a potential very large project down the road, but they were just having the initial study Monday in this. You'll see in the photograph uh, the new, new Calaveras Dam and Reservoir, uh, an aerial shot. Uh, and actually, I really like this one. I believe it was Tim Ramirez who took this picture of the new Calaveras Dam spillway actually in operation in this last set of storms, which uh, we didn't expect to be operating the spillway that soon. but. We did, and, and it worked. So it's, uh, it's the facility is there and is performing as it should right now. But we may be increasing it in the future. We don't know yet, uh, and I think that's one of the water supply projects we need to talk about. Um, a significant uh, project uh, in the regional system is the Millbrae Yard improvements. Uh, that photo on the left is an aerial shot of the Millbrae Yard, uh, which is to the left of that, and on the right of that, uh, is the um, outdoor supply and hardware, formerly Orchard Supply and Hardware, uh, which is on our property, uh, and we have a lease that is coming up for expiration there very soon, and uh, we're looking at a project that would uh, have us taking over that area as well uh, for part of our operation, uh, because we have a new office and water quality lab. We have a major water quality lab here, and, you know, lab techniques and lab, lab equipment uh, and just lab facilities or something that take investment uh, on a shorter time frame than other things frequently because of the changes in technology. Uh, we're also adding uh, or replacing some old shop facilities and we're consolidating staff from our Burlingame facility in the Rollins Road area and we're looking to sell that property as part of this overall program uh, because we work operationally better this way. Um, this is just a, a diagram, that same diagram I showed up front, and the blue dots represent where those projects are. Uh, and the whole point of this diagram is to show that they occur throughout the water system on the regional side. Uh, they're not, you know, all just, you know, a project focused to one particular place, but we do have projects throughout the system. And again, the emphasizing the large size of our system is an important thing to deal with. On the local front, uh, local water conveyance, 
we really have three components we're dealing with there. Uh, one is water pipeline replacement projects. We have $420 million uh, in the budget over the 10 years. Uh, and that's actually a, a reduction from what we had proposed because we're trying to get, we were trying to get up to a 12 uh, mile replacement uh, uh, per year level. Um, this represents, you know, probably about half that. Uh, but it is something that we're going to keep after. And again, based on the new analysis, we'll be coming back with a revised recommendation on that. Lead component services is a big deal for us. Uh, you just approved at the last commission meeting a contract that's going to help us move forward on that. Uh, we removed you know, virtually all the lead from our system, but there are some lingering places that we have to deal with as well. Uh, and our automated meter projects. Uh, we had the automated meter program that really went uh, gangbusters, started in about 2012, but it's already 10 years old. Uh, and again, we need to be revisiting uh, that, uh, replacing components, uh, and dealing with some of the large meters that we hadn't. Uh, and then the new CDD distribution head, or just, you know, the new city distribution division headquarters at 2000 Marin. Uh, the upper left is a diagram of what the site layout is there. Uh, the lower left is a photograph of the current 2000 Marin condition, which, you know, is it's largely parking, and so we'll be able to turn that into usable space. Uh, and to the right is the existing CDD headquarters, which is a, a very old facility, uh, and uh, I think I presented a couple of budget cycles ago some of the things we had to deal with there, such as in our auto shop, we couldn't work on large vehicles because it was, small, it was too small. So we needed to have uh, new shops for there and many other things. Uh, that's a big deal investment, uh, but I think this is gonna be a very worthwhile investment for the next you know, 50 to 100 years for our uh, folks there. So in conclusion, uh, like I said, I think the 10-year capital program is robust. Uh, it reflects a commitment to spending down available balances while moving forward on significant projects. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Commissioner Paulson. Thank you, Mr. Rizzi. Just a quick question on slide, and I should have interrupted you right then because it's probably a quick one, but on slide 34 um, in the year 26-27 under building and grounds, 93.4 million. Is that, is that the Marin? Would you say that? Um, what that might, 93 might be? Actually, I, I don't have slide 30. The 34 numbering doesn't work for me because they may all be put together in one slide, presentation um, for you. According to us, it was... What's, uh, what's the title of the slide? Do it. Oh, um, slide 8. Okay. Um, I wrote slide 34, so maybe that's... I'm just looking at my... Okay. Um, yeah, actually, this is the regional program. Great. This is the funding for the Millbrae Yard uh, improvements. This is oh, on the regional okay. side. On the local side, which is a couple of slides later, uh, you see 108.7 and 147.6 down there in the second line from the bottom. That's yes. the 2000 Marin investment. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell, please. Thank you very much for the report. Um, you mentioned, could you give me an example of some of the other reductions? You mentioned um, prioritization results and other reductions were spread through 
different program areas. Could you give me an examples of three of those um, reductions that were made? You didn't say anything. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, and I think they're all detailed in the budget report that, that is coming to you. Uh, but uh, one example is uh, land acquisition funding, uh, which we have for our watersheds. Um, sometimes we just accumulate money because we know, I mean, acquisition opportunities come across when you least expect them. Um, so we cut a lot of that funding and say if, if it comes up, We'll deal with that in an appropriation at the right time. You know, we'll, we'll do it just in time as opposed to building up uh, a fund. Uh, that's one example. Um, there is uh, uh, a uh, uh, treatment program for our local groundwater uh, that we're looking to add to um, take care of some potential issues with volatile organic chemicals, extremely low levels that show up, but we want to get to zero. Um, so we're going to defer that a little bit. Uh, and we, we may actually, uh, through the alternative water supply program, we may revisit that and, and raise the priority of the program, of the project in that. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head some of the other There's ones. one more. That's two. <laughs> That's two. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, the Sneath Lane Trail. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, we're, we're proposing to construct a large trail extension on the peninsula. It's been delayed for various reasons, so we're going to be getting to that hopefully in the next year. Uh, but we also had another trail connector uh, <coughs> project as part of that in a different part of the watershed. And I suggested we defer that uh, because we will be adding to the trail program in a big way. Uh, and, you know, we can, we can afford to defer that one, I think, a little bit while people take advantage of the, uh, the new facilities. Good. And then, um, so what won't get done in the main replacement? You said that, you know, it, I mean, just, we, get, we get calls or phone alerts every day. Yeah, we, we problems. So, what won't get done? Yeah, we will be just reducing uh, the number of miles, as you see regularly. We do contracts for you know sections uh, in different parts of the city. Uh, we would be doing less of those, which might mean we need we will end up with more main breaks over time. Uh, so we will still be maintaining the system, but we'll be doing it through that route than the actual replacement route. Uh, we also have part of that as reserve funding for uh, specific projects that are linked up with Muni uh, in terms of, you know, Better Market Street is one of those uh, and others where we're going to be, those are projects we're going to get done because the, the timeliness of, of getting them done is there. Uh, so it's not, you know, we will continue to do projects throughout the city. It's not like we're going to say, well, we're just going to do this neighborhood and this neighborhood. No, it, we will still have uh, a general prioritization system, which we have, which is looking at the projects most in need of attending uh, earlier, uh, coupled with our, uh, uh, our uh, processes in engineering and contracting on what's also ready to go sooner. Uh, so then, like I said, we'll be cutting probably back uh, by about uh, uh, by about 50 percent the amount of main replacement we would do 
per year at that time, or at least the funding for it. Yeah, no, the, 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 the amount of mileage, we might get down to more like six miles per year. But even the 12 miles per year, we weren't able to get to on a, on a regular basis, which was of, of concern. But it's, it's, this is, this is, I think this is a big question for the commission overall, which is, you know, how do we do the best kind of main replacement program we can? Which is why I'm suggesting once we redo the analysis that we did back in 2012, we may find that we're replacing things that we don't really need to replace. You know, we can afford to let them stay in the ground longer. Uh, we know the really old ones we have to replace, and we've been doing those. Uh, but you know, we were projecting needing to replace some others that we may not need to replace. That's what we want to look at. I guess my concern is that this is what people see, and this is what people feel. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're cutting what, how we serve the people. And that, that concerns me, because if we're raising rates and we're talking about water and their, their mains break, that, you know, people feel that. And so, you know, that's, that's very concerning. We're cutting it by 50%. Um, I, I just wonder if, if we have thought as creatively as we should, if we're, how we're looking at prioritize, prioritizing, um, you know, and if there's anything we can send out in our mailer, you know, about your main and what we're doing and, and let people know we are thinking about it, we're looking at it, just to give some notice of what's going on. Yeah, and, and I think that's what we want to do is look at that, how, how we can prior, prioritize uh, better and recognize those we can. Uh, we have about 1,260 miles uh, in San Francisco, so uh, it's not something that you know, we can tell people that there will be you know, more or less in, in your neighborhood, uh, but that we may reduce overall. Uh, I think we, you know, let's, we want to revisit this, uh, and this is something that we may end up saying, no, we've got to make it a higher priority, and we are going to uh, restore funding to that uh, in a larger way. Uh, this, I this certainly is, hope so, because this is, for me, this is huge. Uh, certainly it's a lot of weight, water being wasted, and people see it, and people feel it, and we're raising rates, and it just doesn't seem like um, an efficient utility, you know, does it this way. It just seems like we need to really revisit and really think, especially things that affect people in, in this local way. I mean, it affects people directly. It affects, affects Muni. It affects everything. So I think it would be important for us to really think about revisiting that. Very understood. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Um, Commissioner Rivera has a, a comment and a question. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Thank you, President Ajami. Um, my question is, once the um, construction is completed at 2000 Marin, what will be the disposition of the uh, current CDD headquarter facility? Are we going to uh, sell it, tear it down, repurpose it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, we are not going to sell it, that's for sure, because that, that property is too valuable for an infrastructure point of view. Uh, we're looking at a couple of things currently. Uh, the leading one in my mind is in the future, we'll be looking at large water recycling facilities, and where we would put that in San Francisco is a big question. So the CDD, old CDD yard uh, is a leading candidate on where we would do that. 
so that's that's something that we'll be talking about as part of the water water supply plan moving forward uh, is where we fit that project in uh, and the constraints we have to deal with and that's and those are very real in San Francisco you know there is there is not uh, sizable parcels that you need for that kind of facility just you know hanging around out there so having that one uh, that we have uh, in our hand already is, is a very attractive option thank you excellent I have, I have a few questions for you uh, Mr. Ricci I think I'll st oh do you want do you have a question please go is this system having problems Am I not catching? I'm not showing up. I'll I'll raise my hand. Oh, perfect. I'll pay attention. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead, please. Uh, Mr. Ritchie, this may show up in your Hetch Hetchy Water Enterprise um, presentation, but I'm wondering if you can comment on uh, back in Ms. Holmes' presentation, uh, slide 14 shows almost a doubling in the capital budget in, a, in year 10, and I wondered um, I'm not, I didn't see it in your local or regional comments. I'm just wondering. Um, that may be driven largely by a, a single project, uh, Palo Alto line replacement. Um, so there's, you know, we, we can dig into that detail and okay. get back to you. Thank you. Okay, and now I ask my question. Um, Mr. Ritchie, I think uh, maybe I'll start from the comment that uh, Commissioner Maxwell uh, brought up on main replacement. And I know we are doing some form of a, a, uh, asset management to identify uh, red zones. And, and at least I'm hoping that's what we are doing. I remember we had this conversation. But I'm also wondering if we are using any of these new analytical tools that help us to, uh, I don't know, use the telecommunication lines to see if we can um, identify leaks in different parts of the system, you know, or I don't know, like all this conversation about these robots that goes into the pipeline and identifies um, different issues in the system. Um, so. Any any investment in those kind of tools that can help us to maybe as part of this asset management to faster identify places that needs to be replaced. Um, I do appreciate us coordinating with other agencies across the city to make sure we are taking advantage of the land, uh, the road that's open to replace things. But I'm also trying to see if we are using any of these new technologies. Um, to help us. Um, yes, we are. I mean, we provide the commission uh, twice annually a water pipeline replacement yep. report. Uh, the next one's coming up uh, in the next month or so. I just saw a draft was being created on that. Uh, that is where we address some of those questions and we'll look at, you know, seeing ways we can address more. But yes, those are things we're doing. We are looking at different technologies to, uh, you know, better, better predict where failures will occur. Perfect. So we are not just letting that reducing this by 50%, we are trying to be smarter in the way we yes. are spending the money. I think that's the goal here, right? Yes. Um, the next thing I want to ask you, you mentioned on the AMI pro uh, program, um, since we started installing since 2012, right, the uh, yeah, smart the meters, uh, just to uh, not, not to use uh, abbreviation. Um, I'm, uh, you know, again, you and I have had this conversation, but I wanted to ask again, um, do we have, um, I've talked to a few people uh, around the city and people, they do to know maybe they have a smart meter, but they don't really interact with that information. 
to, to sort of track how much water they're using or what they're doing. I'm wondering if we are looking into building some uh, analytical tools that can help us to communicate with our com customers a little bit more actively um, on, uh, you know, your water use went up, your water use went down, you uh, potentially have a leak, things that can help them to be more engaged with us. Um, and I think to your point, which you brought up on uh, they only remember us when the taste goes wrong or when the water is not running, um, for them to remember us every day, that we are working for them, we are working on issues related to their um, uh, you know, system reliability and access. Um, so just you know, a long-winded question to ask, are we looking into something like that? Yeah, and we work with Customer Service Bureau and our communications group and our conservation group to to look at different tools and ways to do that. You know, the AMI products were nice, uh, but we've that that's progressed over time. Can we do sure. more? Yes. So we'll, we're we're constantly looking at ways we can communicate better with with our customers. Okay, I just want to make sure we do make enough investment in those. Um, unsung heroes of, uh, you know, data analytics and uh, technological pieces that are not ribbon-cutting style of infrastructure investment, no. but they are, you know, they're so important in many ways. So I appreciate that. Um, now I'm going to, I want to talk a little bit about the regional investment. And I think one of the things, um, obviously, we have this long list of alternative water supplies. And one, one thing that is not necessarily actively accounted in there, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, is we don't necessarily do demand management on the alternative water supply for regional programs, right? Because if we go and say, we'll work with different communities that we have contracts with and try to improve their efficiency in their system or, you know, uh, promote on-site reuse systems or anything, um, that doesn't change the way we are obligated in our contracting towards that community. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, so I'm wondering if there is a way to have this conversation a little bit more actively to see how we can actually add that as part of our partnership with Bosca and the um, Peninsula, agent, you know, all the uh, wholesale water agencies we are working with, partly because it is a, it's the best investment we can make. It's, we are all in it together. We want to make sure there's certainty in how much water we need in the future. And demand management is a big part of that. Um, so this whole needs assessment and understanding what we are investing in is very much hinged upon where the demand is going. And part of that is the investment in demand, right? Uh, demand management. So. Um, I know this is not necessarily fitting into this, but I think it is important for our long-term strategy on what we are investing in, how much we are investing in, and if there is a way to invest in those kind of solutions as part of our collective alternative water supply investment. Yeah, we have conversations about those kinds of things with uh, our wholesale customers, but again, they are independent agencies, and so ultimate decisions are rest in their hands. Right. But if there is a possibility, that might be something we can consider as part of our alternative water supplies that would help us as a region to become more reliable. Or we are interested as SFPs. We're interested in it, but right. again, they're the ones who have to decide on those right. things. We need to figure out how to make that work with, the, with those agencies. Okay. Um, one last question. You mentioned we may, if we move all the staff to the Millbrae 
location. We may sell the land that right now, the sta or did I miss? Uh, In Birmingham, yes. Is that, and then later you mentioned uh, we would like to keep the assets that we have that are valuable. Is that because that land is not as valuable or is it a, what, what's the strategy there? That land in, in Birmingham is very valuable for development. Right. For us, it's kind of an outlier thing. That's why as part of our effort, we're looking at taking back the retail f land that was adjacent to mm -hmm. uh, our existing facilities and is our property. That makes more sense for us to use. Okay, so then selling that is a strategic decision because it will help us yeah. to... It, it's too isolated there. It's much more valuable for other uses than it is for ours. Okay, and we know that there is interest in buying that land. Yes. There. Okay. I know that area is quite popular, but I just want to make sure, you know, um, which area exactly. Like, I, I want to make sure we have lined up sell buyers that are willing to pay the prime uh, price. Um, I think that's about it for me. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell, you have another question. Go ahead, please. Yes, thank you. You mentioned making cuts that were very painful, um, and ne but necessary. So what are some of the long-term effects of those cuts? And, um, you know, and how will the environment or the community um, be affected? Well, I will you know, respond back to your earlier question. Probably the most painful cut was in main replacement. Uh, because it, it is a big program, it is a very, very important program, um, but when you're looking at, you know, in our case, cutting in the order of, you know, seven, I think we ended up cutting $760 million, there are very few places you can look for that without having, you know, some consequences. That's why we want to make sure it's clear uh, that there are consequences to those uh, and there are ways to come back and revisit those decisions in the future. Yes, go ahead, please. I'm sorry, Mr. Ritchie, I have another question. And again, this is based on a slide from uh, Ms. Holmes' presentation. And Commissioner Rivera raised it, and Ms. Sankula raised it as well. And we've got very ambitious housing goals um, for, the, for San Francisco in particular and for the region set by the state. <clears throat> and. Ms. Sankula uh, expressed some concern that our um, sales volume assumptions didn't reflect those state goals. But as I recall our water supply assessments, um, we're seeing a lot more uh, recycling and reuse on site. Is that why these sales volume assumptions may not be as high as uh, that, that's a small are. contribution to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the reality is those planning projections are very, very aggressive, very ambitious. Um, and so that's when we talk about the urban water management plan. We have to plan for that whole umbrella. But when in the future will that occur? And I think what finance looks at is the hard reality of where the economy is right now and where it's likely to be. Uh, somewhere in the future, those things will converge uh, because I don't see us not doing that housing. It's just a matter of when. When. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other comments? No, if not, thank you, Mr. Ricci. Can we mm -hmm. have a public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, the Water Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan, Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number four? Ms. Sankula. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankula again. Um, a couple things. First, I, um, you'll note that there were no concerns raised about the projects in the capital plan, and that was very deliberate, that we will be sending comments with specific questions, but as far as the projects in the plan, we absolutely support them. I think there's a concern that some of them are undervalued as far as where the vegetable investment has to be. Things like the work that has to be done on the dams, dam repair, obviously we need to maintain those, alternative water supply, those types of things. But I appreciate that we're at a point where we can support the projects in the capital plan and especially excited to see the improvements to Sonal Valley Water Treatment Plan. Um, regarding your questions um, about demand management in the regional water system, I would pose to you that um, I think you need to be very careful how you go down that conversation. Certainly, we can have it with you. Um, I appreciate that you understand that contractually, you have that obligation um, outside of the contract as well. Um, and also, don't assume that those things are not occurring in the service area. Uh, we have, absent you, the lowest per capita in the state as a region. Um, so clearly there's a lot going on, including a large amount of recycled water beyond what you actually plan for within the city as well. So um, I certainly can have that conversation, but um, it's going to be a very careful one. And then lastly, just again back to the demands projections, I think um, for discussion purposes it's important to clarify retail versus wholesale. They're very different um, when I think the city of San Francisco projects what's going to happen in the city. They may take a different approach than our agencies. Um, our information is we go back and look 20 years to the past, population projections are spot on in our service area throughout the region. Um, demands are different, certainly, because things happen that we cannot anticipate, like economic downturns, pandemics, things like that. Thank you. Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers on the line? Madam Secretary, we do have two callers with their hands raised. First caller, I've unmuted your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. Your Finance Bureau is in a tough position because they work from unreasonable inputs from the water enterprise. The problem is that the FFUC still is working from a scarcity mindset from the early 1990s following the six-year drought of record. But a lot has changed. Demand is much, much lower. It was 293 MGD going into the 87 to 92 drought, but it's been less than 200 MGD for the past eight years. And then there's the water first policy that's been very effective, favoring water supply over hydropower generation. On July 13, 2021, Mr. Ritchie showed some excellent slides related to the water first policy and reduced demand. The precipitation for the, for the 76 to 77 drought was very similar to that of the 2020 to 21 drought. It was 39.14 inches in 76, 77, 39.28 inches in 2020, 21. But on June 10, 1977, total system storage was at 563,000 acre feet. On June 10, 2021, total system storage was at 917,000 acre feet. So we saved 354,000 acre feet over the two year period. And to put that in perspective, last year demand was 204,000 acre feet. But none of this was reflected in the water supply agreement in 2008. Uh, that assumed an 8.5-year design drought at 265 MGD demand. 
So these ultra-conservative policies cost money. I have some examples, but I think I'm about to run out of time. So I just want to say the water supply uh, alternative plan is really important. Uh, you're looking at demands of 94 MGD. That's 105,000 acre feet. Assume 3,500 to 4,000 per acre feet. And we're talking real money, hundreds of millions of dollars per year. So there's a water demand workshop in March and April. Thank you, caller. Your time has expired. Madam Secretary, another caller has joined the queue. Next caller, I've unmuted your line. Go ahead, you have two minutes. Oh, it's uh, Dave Warner from Palo Alto. I mainly calling to say thank you for the hugely informative and educational uh, session here. I've learned a ton. Um, just one very minor comment. It, you know, Ms. Dankula represents 1.8 million of us, uh, and if there's any way of somehow making an exception so that she can have more than two minutes at these discussions, uh, that'd be terrific, but I don't know if you can do that or not. Anyway, thank you for the just excellent uh, preparation and um, budget meeting. Thanks. Thank you for your comments, Madam Secretary and Commissioners. There are no other callers in the queue wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Public comment and item number four is closed. Great. Um, just one last comment I want to make before we move on is uh, we all need to remember that uh, the more we invest in solutions that might not have customers at the end of it, the higher the rate's going to go. So it's very important for us to be very strategic and think about what is it we are investing in to make sure we don't have a lot of infrastructure that might not have a you know, customer at the end of it and then leave a lot of people behind with um, costs to recover. So just want to uh, leave this, leave us off with that. Um, Madam Secretary, could you, could you please uh, read the next item? Next item is item number five, the Hetch Hetchy Water Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan. Again, Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. If I could have the slides, please. Um, the upfront section of this will go very quickly because very repetitious in terms of the same water system. As I said, it's one of the three capital plans we have to deal with overall. Uh, the same system, system schematic. Uh, now we're talking about the right-hand side of that as opposed to the left-hand side of that. Uh, and the water enterprise level of service goals uh, apply to the Hetchy system as well as to the uh, water uh, locally and regionally. Oops, wrong direction. Um, again, the capital plan development on the Hetchy side, very similar. One of the things here, though, is that over the last several years, Hetch Hetchy Water has been working on a project prioritization methodology emphasizing likelihood and consequences of failure of any given asset. Uh, this has been a project been underway for like six years, as I recall, uh, and this year it was ready for use. It actually made the prioritization process uh, a lot more straightforward. So in the Hetchy Tenure Program, uh, just at the top, there's some text that is uh, something that always we need to remember, uh, that all of our assets and projects uh, in the Hetch Hetchy system are classified as water, where they're 100% water funded, uh, power, where they're 100% power funded, and joint, which is 45% water funded and 55% power funded. Uh, so instead of the categories that we saw for the others, the categories we always see for Hetch Hetchy because it just divides that way, it's water, power, and joint. Uh, so you see here below that 
that's how it's broken out into those three categories is Hetchy water, uh, or excuse me, water, power, and joint. Um, and you'll see that, um, yes, this also has a downturn at the end and does have some uh, more significant spending early on. Uh, some of that is already underway, uh, but this one is a little bit more level than, than the others are. Um, in terms of the 23-24 capital budget, uh, again, water infrastructure is looking at 49 million. Uh, power and infrastructure, there's no request there, uh, at zero. Uh, and the joint infrastructure uh, on the water side is 16.7 million and 20.4 million on the power side. So that we actually have a decrease in the request from the Hetchy side of the system uh, at this time uh, to move forward. Um, and the prioritization results, uh, they were taken in a manner that prioritized reliability of providing water deliveries to the Bay Area and critical power facilities that support delivery of water consistent with the power for the water first uh, policy of the commission. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't invest in power or joint, but uh, it's a prioritization system. The reductions totaled about 377 million, leaving what I still consider a robust program of about 977 million. Uh, again, the projects here, uh, on the Moccasin side and the Moccasin powerhouse, uh, the new powerhouse that exists there now was constructed in 1967, so new is kind of a euphemism. Uh, it is actually you know, fairly old uh, and in need of attention. We've already invested through the last couple of years uh, in the Moccasin powerhouse, and we need to continue that investment for another $22 million. Uh, and then we're also looking at uh, another portion of those powerhouses, which are bypasses for both the Moccasin and Kirkwood powerhouse that are another 38 million. So investment in our powerhouses is good for uh, our water supply because that's where the water flows through those facilities, but it's also good uh, in terms of power reliability. On the water transmission front, uh, the San Joaquin pipeline life extension and safe entry projects. Uh, this is a project that actually represents kind of that smart investment you were talking about, Commissioner Ajami, where uh, we're investing in how we can uh, extend the life of the San Joaquin pipelines. And so with various uh, approaches we have in terms of technology there, we're focusing on where we can make uh, fixes as opposed to wholesale pipeline replacement, which would be much, much more expensive and deferring that we think at least 50 years. Uh, and then the mountain tunnel improvement project, uh, which we we're working on right now. Again, that's gotten a fair amount of funding prior to this, but that funding will continue as we finish the project. And uh, the lower left picture are the San Joaquin pipelines coming off of the Foothill Tunnel, but on the right is the Mountain Tunnel new added at Priest, which is a, you know, a tunnel to get into the tunnel. Uh, and actually very you know, interestingly, in the last couple of days, we actually broke through to the mountain tunnel, which is shut down currently, and so we're, we're happy about that. Um, Moccasin Dam and Spillway, uh, we had the March 2018 Atmospheric River event that showed us the, uh, the weaknesses we have there, and that photo below shows the, uh, what I referred to as chocolate milk, and it still looks like chocolate milk to me, uh, but that was a huge amount of water coming through the Moccasin facility that stretched our facilities to their maximum extent. So we've completed short-term improvements, but we have a long-term improvement project ahead of us for compliance with DSOD regulations. Um, and then O'Shaughnessy Dam, 
this is actually a photograph from 2017, which was a, a really great year for water, and so I just dug that up and put that in there. That, that kind of looks like that this year. Uh, but uh, the, it was constructed in 23 and raised in 38. Uh, our outlet works phase one, which is preparation for the outlet works phase two project, uh, is well underway but needs some additional funding. Uh, but the outlet works phase two is really valve replacement. Um, the valves, many of the valves that were uh, that are in O'Shaughnessy Dam uh, that we use to release water were actually built into the dam in 1923, and so they're they're 100 years old now. Uh, they need replacement and we can't just rip them out of the dam. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting engineering project to you know, put new valves in place there. Uh, and we can get into the details of those some other time, but it's, it's a very timely project to make sure our valves will operate properly. Um, and here, uh, again, on the right-hand side, this is where the blue dots show up. And again, they're throughout the system. There's nothing that's just in one place, but we have to invest in all the different parts of the, pro the project up there. So similar to water, uh, we think this is a pretty robust program that the things we're going to accomplish here are really going to be important things for us to accomplish. Uh, and it reflects the commitment to spending down balances while moving forward on those significant projects. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Yes. Thank you. You know, I, I really think I'm a geek about this stuff. I really <laughs> love hearing about those valves. Um, so I'm looking forward to finding out what we're going to do with the ones that are built in and, um, you know, how we're going to deal with that. But could you give me a list maybe? Thank you. Could you um, give me a list of the five projects that will not be done um, totaling the $377 million, um, what won't be done and how will it affect um, community and the environment? Um, well, one that I can bring to mind off the top of my head is the Cherry Dam Spillway. Uh, that, uh, that spillway needs work. Uh, we are going to, you know, start the initial work for a partial uh, replacement of that spillway, uh, but not the entire length. It's a long spillway that was, I think, originally intended to be concrete, uh, and they didn't pour the concrete. Uh, and so we're looking at a way to at least pave the first part of it so we can keep water from basically potentially eroding the dam uh, tow. Uh, that's one project in there. Um, early intake dam uh, is something that uh, it's a very small dam in the system, a diversion dam uh, that we used for Mountain Tunnel. Uh, that is, you know, it, it has a particular, you know, unique problem with that dam that we have to address. Uh, but again, it's, it's not big enough in the system to make that much of a difference. What's uh, the unique problem? The, the problem uh, is uh, it's ASR, basically the aggregate. Uh, there's a reaction occurring in the, in the aggregate that's in the concrete that actually causes it to expand and break and so ultimately affect the stability of that. But it's a very small dam uh, and it was used only for very specific diversion conditions which we don't need on a routine basis. Uh, and so, yes, we will deal with that dam, but it's, it's not as high a priority as the other projects. That's two. As Ah, yes, and Kirkwood Powerhouse Rehabilitation, uh, again, 
We have done work in uh, rehabilitating Kirkwood Powerhouse before. We have rewound the generators there. There's additional work we would like to do, uh, but we don't think that that represents a big as risk to the system as, for example, the moccasin powerhouse work uh, and the other projects we've talked about. Ah, yes. And then uh, we have, uh, uh, there's a switchyard at the uh, early intake area. That's where we take in the power from the two powerhouses there, Kirkwood and Home, and move it out there. Uh, we have some control facilities that we need to upgrade there. We've actually done some upgrades of that yard, uh, but we're going to defer the final upgrades that we need to do to make that as reliable as we would like it. Uh, but we think we can live with uh, the reliability that we have right now for several years. Uh, the moccasin yard improvements. The yard, uh, you know, we talk about facilities projects here. Uh, moccasin is no different. We have um, projects up there. We're actually going to be redoing some buildings as part of the program, but the yard improvements, we did a major improvement uh, back in 2017 on the yard for some of the facilities. We're just deferring the rest of the yard improvements uh, down, down the road. Uh, that's something we've been working on for a while and would like to continue to pay attention to. But again, we have limited resources. We got the worst of it taken care of previously. Thank you. Uh, that's five. That's good. <laughs> that's okay. Don't. Oh, yeah. Unless somebody. I wanted to say there'll be a, there'll be a report coming to you um, as part of the package of materials for the regular meeting where the budget will be adopted that lists all of these projects in detail so you can read about what was deprioritized and what the potential consequences of that are. Well, I really, really appreciate it. And I, and I appreciate hearing why. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so important because so often you hear $377 million, my God, the environment and people. But I think those make a lot of sense. And I hope that we get this information certainly sooner than we got this packet. Um, because if you're talking, telling us we're gonna be making decisions or even looking at things, we also have the meeting. And so you have to consider that we have to look at that packet as well. And this was very difficult. Um, but so I hope we get it sooner rather than later. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ritchie. Mm -hmm. Much appreciated. Uh, any other comments? Thank you, Mr. Ritchie. I, um, very similar to Commissioner Maxwell, I'm always concerned that uh, are we leaving anything behind or is this something that we can always pick up later because um, also the cost of building things and doing things is it always goes up always goes up so that's always a question to see like uh, you know what are we leaving behind can we somehow manage it or is it strategic to leave it behind but thanks for uh, your presentation mm -hmm. can we have a public comment please members of the public who wish to make two minutes remote public comment on item number five, the Hetch Hetchy Water Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan. Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Ms. Sankula. Good afternoon, commissioners. Again, Nicole Sankula, Bosca CEO. Um, Bosca supports the projects that are in the Hetch Hetchy Capital Plan. Again, I'm really pleased to say that and also recognize that there are greater future costs they're currently not included um, for dam rehabilitation and other efforts because those costs are not yet available. So kind of recognizing that there's an outstanding issue there. Um, my next question is, I, and I'm not sure, I don't think it fits in the capital plan, but maybe something 
can be addressed later, but also I've been giving a lot of thought about early implementation of voluntary agreements. And there's not just a water cost to that, but also a financial cost to it for your share of improvements in the river and the habitat. I'm not sure where that fits in, but I wanted to make that question. That is certainly something that Bosca strongly supports. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Moderator, any callers? Madam Secretary, we do have one caller in queue with their hand raised. Caller, go ahead. You have two minutes. Can you hear me now? Loud and clear. Great. Uh, David Pilpel. So I tried to raise my hand on the uh, last item, but I guess uh, my hand had already been cleared from the whatever. Anyway, um, my comments were primarily about item four. So if you could just take those as item four, and then I had one brief reference. Uh, on item five. So on item four, I wasn't uh, clear about the future use of the Newcomb and Rollins Road properties, so I appreciate the questions that you asked. Uh, if either of those properties are sold or uh, used for other uh, purposes, I uh, assume and, and believe that the um, uh, revenues from that would benefit uh, the ratepayers um, for uh, in-city for uh, CDD and uh, everybody for the Rollins Road uh, property. Um, it would be helpful if all of the charts had consistent program and project names. Some vary a little bit, so it's a little hard to follow and uh, group some of the uh, water uh, program and, and project uh, titles um, on the presentation slides. Um, on local water main uh, replacement, that was, um, I think, one of the uh, very significant uh, uh, legacies of um, Ed Harrington was to increase the local uh, water main uh, replacement program when he was general manager. Um, I, I don't see mileage as being the important factor. Uh, I would use condition assessment and risk um, and not just uh, based on age um, as the factor for, for that. Um, on water conservation, uh, following uh, the discussion uh, several months ago about the Clean Power SF Integrated uh, Resource Plan, I would try to highlight reduction and time shifting of uh, water use, uh, and I can comment on that another time. And just on item five, I love slide 12 with O'Shaughnessy Dam in the fog. Great photograph. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, Commissioner, there are no other callers with their hands raised at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item five is closed. Thank you. So I um, just want to reiterate what uh, Ms. Sankula said. We should, certainly should uh, think about how our future obligations are going to impact our capital plan. So I appreciate that comment. Um, if there are no more comments, uh, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Next item is item number six, the Wastewater Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan. Okay, very good. Uh, can I have the slides, please? Okay, good afternoon, commissioners. Greg Norby, I'm the Assistant General Manager for the Wastewater Enterprise. How's that? Good. Okay, very good. So the wastewater capital program, as you've already heard, um, uh, makes up a pretty sizable chunk of the overall PUC capital program. So we are 
working diligently to address the same basic imperatives that you've been discussing here today. Uh, primarily those are the issues of deliverability, uh, customer affordability, and the emerging changes to the regulatory uh, environment. So what we're really hoping to leave here today at a minimum is that you understand the uh, uh, the why behind the different decisions that we have made that you'll see through this presentation and then also kind of the what and the how going forward. So next slide, please. Oh, thank you. I'll get it straight here. <laughs> how about that? Okay, very good. So we'll talk a little bit first about the wastewater enterprise capital planning process, which uh, is you're going to find similar to what you've already uh, heard from the water enterprise. We'll talk a little bit about the financials. And then very importantly, that next to the last bullet of the prioritization process and the trade-offs, which I think you can see from your earlier comments and questions, we know that that's a big area of focus in terms of um, how we're approaching risk and recognizing trade-offs in our decision-making. Okay, so like any uh, standard capital planning process, we're primarily starting with what are the, the key drivers. Some of these should look pretty familiar. So operational reliability, just what it sounds like. Are the systems in a state of good repair? Do they do what they're planned to do? Good example there would be the biosolids project, the Headworks, Headworks projects, or R&R investments. Seismic reliability has been driving a big chunk of our recent spending, and it also covers a, a, fair si a fairly sizable chunk of our, our future spending as well. Uh, that's a big, big part of the SSIP uh, deliver deliverability goals. And then health and safety and security, just what it sounds like. Uh, and then lastly, stormwater management. Now, to some of the earlier comments that have been made, which you don't see here, of course, uh, as a project driver yet, is the, I'll say, explicit recognition of the quantitative impacts of climate change. So for the moment, sort of think of stormwater management as a proxy for those types of drivers on the capital program. Okay, we really like to emphasize this slide because we think it is, first of all, uh, it's responsive to and, and really embraces the direction we heard from the commission when you adopted the asset management uh, policy back in late 2020. So the far left side of that, this is basically a cycle. It's, it's presented here a bit uh, as a linear process, but it's really not. It's a, a, a continual cycle. We spend uh, most of our time here on budgeting on that first, uh, that first area. What are we going to invest the money in? And we spend a little bit of time on project delivery in terms of contracts and so forth. But then those last two areas of startup and commissioning and the life cycle operation and maintenance are where we are really trying to incorporate this in our decision making about the capital program. So this, getting this process right is what ensures that the investments we're making give the ratepayer the maximum life cycle value in return, right? So a lot of what's out on that right-hand side that's sometimes off the radar is really what helps drive the value of that investment over 20 or 30 years. And again, if you're looking for levers that we control as an agency on the affordability front, you'd be hard pressed to find a higher value return than really high quality asset management uh, because of those things that it helps support. So you've seen this many, many times. We're still striving to make this change from a more peak and valley uh, capital program investment cycle 
to one that increases our steady state investment in the R&R needs of the facilities and the assets, and also merges our capital program into a more single sort of unified program versus um, how it's been structured uh, in the past. And we're very much in the middle of this transition uh, over the last several years. So our planning horizon that we use within the wastewater enterprise, same as the others, this should, again, start to look pretty familiar. We typically have a two-year capital budget. Of course, this year we're doing this unique process of the one-year. We have a rolling 10-year capital plan. And then we strive to be looking out towards that 20-year horizon. And so this is really the big distinguishing point here, as you know, is the 10-year capital plan is where we're still able to be fairly specific and quantitative in what we're saying needs to be done, how much it costs, when it's going to get done. And the areas out there to the far right, of course, are the challenging ones. They're on the horizon. They're coming our way. When and how fast they're going to hit us is a little uncertain. So how, they, how issues move from the far right to that middle area is, I think, something we're really uh, addressing right now, because I think probably one of the best examples is the climate change impacts. They've been out there on the horizon. They've, seen, they've seemed a long ways away when suddenly the horizon is kind of here in, in many different impacts that, that we're seeing. So this is a real challenge for us. So for wastewater on the deliverability front, we've been huge proponents of this, uh, along with our partners in infrastructure and finance, uh, actually before this formal process started. And it was just from a practical driver that we, and you've heard all this before in past presentations, we recognize as an enterprise we were really struggling to absorb the pace of the capital program. So how well were those facilities getting landed? How well were we staffing them, et cetera? Um, so it hasn't been about the money for a long time. It's been about the deliverability in that sense. So we took this past year. We went through a pretty good chunk. We're not done like the others. We're still in mid-cycle. But we went through two big layers of our capital program, one being what we call the linear assets, the gravity sewer R&R work, and the other being the treatment facilities R&R work. Together, they represent uh, a little bit over $1.6 billion worth of the spending in the 10-year CIP. And the really positive outcome of that has been a laundry list of, of fairly specific actions that we'll be taking on an ongoing basis over the next couple of years, working with infrastructure and public works and others to address those deliverability uh, challenges in those two areas of our capital program. Um, thing I want you to keep in mind, though, is this is still midstream. Um, but you'll start to see things like a good example, uh, and this is somewhat uh, of a detail, but in terms of a steady diet of R&R &R at our treatment plants, we know that a lot of our work falls in between two of our primary delivery mechanisms, and those being the job order contracts, or JOCs, which have a certain dollar limit, and then your more formal capital projects, right? And what we find is a lot of our work falls in between those, and it would be better to deliver it without a formal con you know, engineering, et cetera, contract, but it's too big for the JOC. So that's just to give you a pragmatic example of, of you know, there's, there's many, many others we'll be bringing for. Uh, some of them are policy, some of them are business practice, and some of them are ones that are entirely within our control, and we'll just be implementing them as we go forward. Um, the good thing, I think, about the deliverability review is it's forced us 
to really quantifiably recognize the constraints. And the constraints have forced us to really be very clear about our priorities. And so that's, I think, a, I'll say an unintended positive consequence. So we'll go quickly through some of the financials. Uh, table, you can read it. <laughs> the big numbers are on the right, $4.9 billion. It's about a billion dollars less than you saw uh, last fiscal cycle for the re some of the reasons that have been noted. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead because this is a little hard for everyone to read. I prefer this, this uh, view here. So this is the 10-year appropriations pattern. Um, and the big takeaways here are, uh, you know, close to, I think, 60% or so of the spending is in the first several years there. And that is work that is largely already underway. It's, so it's really committed to. It's a hard thing for us to change that direction. So most of that is the biosolids project um, and or the other projects that are in construction right now. And then the blue that you see is also somewhat non-negotiable in that that is spending affiliated with the pipeline projects that we're doing under the cleanup and abatement order with the state. So not much we can do about the left-hand side. Sir, we, yeah, please go ahead. Um, there is a request that you um, explain what is BDFP. Oh, apologize. Let's avoid the acronyms. The Biosolids Project. Thank, Thank you. you. Then as you get out to the far right, uh, two things are notable. One, as you can obviously see, the relative, the large swings in the relative pace of the program. And then secondly, the, the vast majority of the money that we're spending in the out years is for the gravity sewer assets. That's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. Um, that is what we call our large diameter and our, our small diameter assets. And that's primarily where the remainder of the spending goes. Um, you could look at this and say, are the, are the reductions good? Are they bad? Uh, they're really neither. The, the, the challenges we see here, of course, is the fluctuating pace, which we've talked about before, and the fact that we're, we're probably leaving some delivery capacity on the table here, right? Because we're kind of dipping down below maybe our potential capacity. But, but this is a forecast. It will, it will change like, uh, like every forecast. Quick, uh, ask again, can you, if you go back, uh, CAO, can you? Um... The cleanup and abatement order. So that's the 2021 agreement we signed with the state that commits us to the three uh, flood resiliency projects, amongst other things that we're, we're building right now. So Folsom 17th, Alamany, Wawona and 15th. Uh, think of those as, as under the cleanup and abatement order. Okay. Uh, let's see. This bar graph is really just details of the, the, what you just saw in the prior one for the first year. Shows you where the money is going, primarily to the biosolids project, makes up most of that 609 million. Uh, collection systems, just what it sounds like. Uh, flood resiliency, most of that, 43 million, is, is for the early stages of the Folsom and 17th um, project that is, that is starting to move um, towards implementation. And then, as you can see, it just gets smaller from there. The one thing I'll point out, the large slice on top, which is the Treasure Island um, uh, Water Resources Recovery Facility, uh, is now out in, it's being delivered through a design-build um, contract. So the point there is that its price certainty, which has been a variable for us in the past, is now locked in, obviously, because the contract has been, has been issued. So there's, a, there's not a lot of... Um, 
volatility with those figures any longer. This is an attempt to kind of give you the very big picture of all of the appropriations that we either already have that are affiliated with the 10-year program or that we can anticipate through projects we already have on the capital program, but they may be programmed beyond the 10-year horizon. So you can look, uh, you know, again, by any measure, it's still a very, very substantial capital program. Um, we're starting out with a, a, a 800, you know, again, just under a billion dollars of existing appropriations adding just under $7 billion through the 10 years, um, and then the 4.9, um, pardon me, I, mis I misspoke there, the 4.9 is what's appropriated over the next 10 years, and then a small portion of that falls outside of the 10 years, but there are projects out there that we've identified. Um, so again, that just kind of gives you the, the little bit bigger picture on that. So how did we make the decisions that brought us down from the 5.9 to the $4.9 billion 10-year um, appropriations picture. That's what we want to talk about next. So this graph shows you kind of where those changes occurred. And similar, if you look on the left-hand side, you don't see much change because, again, that's, that's the biosolids project. It's the pipeline spending for the cleanup and abatement order, so you don't see much change. If you look to the right, you'll see two big areas of change. One is the green which is new projects, and one is the kind of reddish crosshatch, which is the gravity sewer R&R, &R, which is both our large diameter and our small diameter uh, program. So the changes to the new projects it was primarily done through essentially reprogramming, meaning we've moved them out of the current 10-year horizon. The need hasn't gotten away, gone away, but we have decided that on a prioritization basis, those can wait. And so some examples there could be some of our seismic stability projects, et cetera. Um, but we have made a risk-based decision to move them out of the current 10-year horizon. And then on the gravity sewer assets, we have, this is a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a, it, it, the, the appearance and the change is, is bigger than the practical reality. Let me put it that way. So, and the reason for that is, pardon me? line you just said? The gravity that? sewer R&R &R oh, gravity sewer. Yeah. So that has changed a fair amount numerically, but keep in mind what we did two years ago was we brought in that program into R&R. &R. It used to be listed under, I think, SSIP. We brought the large diameter work under what we now call R&R. &R. So when we were in front of you a year ago, that number had taken a great big jump. Um, what's happened now through this uh, this uh, iteration is we have reduced our mileage targets for that program, and we have also made substantial changes to the small diameter program in terms of how it's going to be delivered. And, and so those have resulted in cost savings. So I'll touch on this in just a moment when we look at some of the factors um, behind the decisions. But again, this gives you the big picture of what actually changed. Okay, so this is probably the one that's most focused on the risks and the trade-offs. So if you start over at treatment plants, where we reduce costs by a little under $340 million, the, uh, really the biggest numbers there that we moved have to do with some of the seismic stability projects, such as the Oceanside Treatment Plant. Uh, those getting uh, 
getting moved out basically beyond the 10-year horizon. When you look at pump stations and force mains, the probably single biggest driver there is we moved the uh, what we call the channel force main, uh, some of the anticipated reinvestment in that. Again, we moved it out. Um, on gravity sewers, we already talked about those, uh, the changes there. And then you can see for, you know, under stormwater and flood control, basically just some reprogramming of some of the anticipated um, projects. Now, what we really want to focus on going forward is, okay, if these are the changes we're going to make, what can we do in some cases to mitigate for the risk, right, if we know we're making these, these decisions? Some don't have much risk. They're, they might be an opportunity cost, right? But if we talk about moving out the channel force main, well, that's a 1970s facility that moves three-quarters of the city's wastewater on, in dry weather. There are things we think we can do to say, okay, if we're going to put off the, ma the major reinvestment, can we do things in between now and then to um, be able to respond to anticipated emergencies or make sure that it's being maintained in the best possible condition? And so those are the, those are the areas we want to focus on going forward is how do we, how do we uh, basically mitigate any risk that comes from these decisions. Big picture, the trade-offs for the wastewater enterprise capital budget in terms of the 5.9 to 4.9. Um, one is uh, it is um, all things being equal, it's, it's pushing us back towards a bit more of a peaks and valleys um, spending pattern, which we're over time, we're working to, you know, to move to a smoother one, but there's, there's only so much we can do. Um, regulatory alignment has, has been discussed. We know that there are some big areas of uncertainty with regulatory obligations in the future, including the nutrient reduction question. So how we absorb those changes over the next decade um, is a question. And then safety and performance, always, always of paramount concern. Um, we think we can navigate that one mainly by maintaining a pretty uh, robust pace of, of R and R investment in the treatment facilities, and those really haven't taken a cut, by the way, um, because there's such a small slice of those bar graphs you saw. <laughs> Even if they're almost doubling over the next couple of years, they really don't show up here. So we are not taking our eye off the ball of safety and performance at the treatment plants. Again, most of the numbers you're seeing are being driven by things that are outside of that. Uh, that particular area. Uh, so real quick, just a couple of the key projects. All of these are, you should be very familiar with uh, from our, our periodic reports. The biosolids project at just under 2.4 billion, obviously the, the single biggest and the one that this is the project that has really driven the resulting 10-year picture that we have in front of us now. Um, for good reason, though. Uh, when you take this together with HeadWorks, those two projects represent rebuilding 75% of the Southeast treatment plant. And so, you know, there's a reason that they, they're the scale that they are. Um, the R&R collection system, as I mentioned, it's really the, the biggest chunk once we're past some of the current marquee projects. Um, main thing we want to take, uh, share here is similar to what um, uh, AGM Ritchie mentioned, we are in the process of reevaluating our small diameter mileage targets which you've heard the 15 mile per year target for almost for the last decade. Well, we've got enough data, enough condition assessment data and, uh, to know or to begin to assess 
whether or not that mileage target needs to be maintained. And we think there's an emerging case that we will be able to lower that annual target without compromising the integrity of the system. Um, partner that with a shift. Our goal is to move to approximately 75% trenchless construction by the end of this horizon, um, as opposed to less than 10% today. Uh, so we anticipate some big offsetting influences there, right? Lower construction costs, all things being equal. Um, hopefully higher value to the public for every mile that we do put in the ground because we're making those decisions uh, a little more smartly going forward. And then again, two you're very familiar with, Folsom stormwater improvements, about a $300 million investment to bring that neighborhood up to the current five-year, three-hour um, storm level of service. It will be, that work is uh, obligated under the cleanup and abatement order and has a fairly aggressive, not, I shouldn't say aggressive, it has a timeline that we will strive to meet uh, that uh, requires delivery in, uh, by 2028. And then the Folsom, pardon me, the Lower Alamany Stormwater Project, close to the same price tag, about $300 million to bring that area up to the level of service storm. And a little bit faster timeline, but again, also obligated under the cleanup and abatement order. And that is the end of the presentation. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Excellent, thank you so much. Uh Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, there we go. Thank you for the, the uh, presentation. Um, so I guess my concern is when I look at stormwater and flood, um, and we just had an article in the newspaper, I think it was January 25th, about how, yeah, about how great um, the bioswells did, and especially um, the feature was, uh, I think, John King. And the feature was none other than uh, the Southeast Center, and uh, certainly many other around the city about how great, how they worked, how other places were flooding, but these really worked the way they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. And other cities in the Bay are turning parking lots into bioswells. And so, again, we're deferring green infrastructure parcels and this this these are people and so again my concern is when we look at our budget how are we affecting the environment how are we affecting our communities and socially this is a direct effect you have young people that you're getting into looking at things differently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and it says parcel projects at Lincoln High School at Sutro Reservoir deferred green infrastructure streetscape projects citywide that's huge Deferred flood resilience projects at Ocean um, so, and Western Edition. So those are the people, uh -huh. the people that are being directly affected and looking at things differently because we're looking at it differently and it right. works. And it's a living thing. And so I'm, I'm concerned about that. I, I, right. I really am. And I look at the things that we're doing and how it affects people. We're, we're doing, we're kind of you know, putting that on the back burner with people directly, things that directly face people. So this is something I, I really am concerned about and I think we should um, reconsider. And then when I look at um, one of your slides, I, all I could think about is, um, I guess it's the appropriation capital plan mm -hmm. and um, how much of the yellow. and. It's so much, was that during the web core and, I mean, is any of that taken into consideration? Um, all the, 
issues um, that we had with WebCorp, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, so is some of that, is any of this, when you talk about deliverability, are we looking at not only, uh, you know, are we looking at how we, project management, are we looking at all of those things when we consider, I'm thinking Treasure Island, what are we mm. going to do differently? Mm -hmm. What have we learned? Well, um, could I, so I'll take, yes, I'll take the first question and then I'll, I might ask for some help on the second one. <laughs> but your points about the, the benefits and the value of the green infrastructure investments is all well taken, and I think um, I think we're all in agreement on that. And I think this our agency has 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 stepped up and made those investments. We are continuing to. Those are hard choices, as you noted. Um, there was nothing on that list that was done easily. I mean, that was, uh, it, and so we. I don't think there's any disagreement about that. Your points, also, Commissioner, about the um, the public. The larger public value that can come from thoughtfully done green infrastructure, we all, again, are in complete agreement with that. And that's, you know, from a policy perspective, we recognize that. Um, we are doing a lot of things right. That's, I think, really important to keep in mind. The Stormwater Management Ordinance, the SMO, to use the acronym, is the single biggest driver of progress on the green infrastructure front. And to this commission and past commission's credit, that was a very strategic move that has harnessed the building process across the city for the last, I don't know, I want to say almost decade now. And that will continue to do so. Um, I will say this on the partnered capital projects. We are getting better, okay? So you're, I want to give you some examples. You, the numbers were too small to focus on, but you, Buchanan Street Mall is on there, for example. So we, Buchanan Street Mall is gonna go through a big overhaul. We won't get into details here, but the takeaway is that when we saw the opportunity to partner with Rec and Park and the other city agencies, we jumped on it. We shifted around our, some of our capital program priorities so that we can take care of the, the, both the combined sewer underground asset in the area and work with Rec and Park to invest in the green infrastructure for that whole corridor through Buchanan. So, the partnerships is where it's at, as we've talked about. And we're not giving up on those. So when we talk about some of those school projects that are, we're showing no specific funding now available, we're not gonna give up on those. Meaning we will continue to work to look for other funding sources, whether that's state or federal. Um, we know that that early partnering and planning is key. And this is something, uh, uh, I'll say the leadership, everyone's been, we've spent a, a fair amount of time talking about more and more recently, which is how we get better at that, that both the planning of the facilities and the money, right? And that's not easy. It's a big, it's a big change for us as, a, uh, as an organization. But I, I just want to make sure you know that we're not walking away from any of that if we can find other ways to fund or resource uh, those, those, those well, projects. Yeah. Well, just let me say, I don't think you are. We, we were a leader in all of this. Yeah. And, but I think I feel responsibility when I see things that directly affect people to bring it up and to mention it. But it's not saying anything else, and I still think we need to find partnerships and we need to, we need to do this. This is extremely important. Absolutely. But in no way am I saying that we are not. I would never say that anyway because yeah. we're, I'm in the PUC. How could it mm -hmm. not be? But um, I think we are, we are number one, and I want to stay there, and I want our people to feel as we raise our rates that they can see things, that we can point to things, you know, constantly. If I might, Commissioner, Please. just to give you a little bit of reassurance, and Greg didn't well, say assured. it, but, but <laughs> I, I just, okay. um, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, just because we identified 
a couple of green infrastructure projects that were going to be deferred. Two things. Number one, that doesn't uh, you look at what we are doing globally in the city on green infrastructure. We are the leading um, agency working with our partners, and we're going to continue being that. And as an example of that, um, last week the Capital Planning Committee, I went myself, and um, we talked with our partner agencies about um, our agency taking the lead, working with others to promote all sorts of flood resilience, building improvements, work um, modeling what's being done on, sea, on, on, on the sea level, the sea wall on the east side to model that on the west side and the like and, and to really invest and for us to take the lead, coordinate with other agencies throughout the city to push green infrastructure. So I want you to rest assured that um, this is not a diminution at all in our commitment and we will continue to be the leader. Is that that Absolutely. capital planning committee Absolutely. that? Yep. Yep. Well and then could you do this with us? Could you, for me, um, and probably the rest of us are interested in this, as you go further, could you tell us how this, um, what's going on? And, and, and we need a report, sure. actually, we could do something, period, on green infrastructure. Yep. Then we'd have an idea of what we're doing and, and the partners that you're looking for. So um, then we would, we would really have an idea and not to let this go. For me, this high school is extremely important because they're young people and their parents and their grandparents, and it just kind of reverberates okay. throughout. Very good. Absolutely. And then, uh, Stephen, I was just going to do you want to speak? The second part about the, the costs and the, 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 you know, the challenges we've had on the biosolids project, I think the main thing I can comment on is that at this point, the, because the work is largely bid, the price we know now is highly certain. We're not, I think the amount of uncertainty has really gone out of the equation. Um, but I was going to, Stephen, do you want to add anything to and that? And project management, could you speak to that? Thank you. Yes, Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Um, good point. Uh, the majority of the biosolids project now is bid out. It's a construction management general contractor, CMGC model, meaning we get to bid out those packages over time. So that did not give us the price certainty at the beginning of when we issued the contract to the MWH Webcore team. Um, you mentioned Treasure Island, though, however, which is a fixed price design build contract. So um, AGM Norby mentioned we have a lot more certainty in it because it's not bid out in the same way. Um, so that's a significant project for us now and a good investment back into the Treasure Island area. Um, so there, there are different projects, but I, I think also to answer the question, we have learned those lessons over the process of doing more CMGC, more alternative delivery work. Um, I've mentioned before, perhaps people, processes and tools, having the right people with the right experience. We've got a very experienced project manager and project team on the Treasure Island project, which is really good done lots of alternative delivery before. And we're putting our procedures and our processes and the systems and tools that we use to manage and track change and look at how the project is evolving over time, which gives us better foresight, better forecasting, and allows us to adjust in whatever way we can. So we've taken a, a, a deep dive and we continue to learn because the market conditions change and the contractors change and the teams change. Okay, well, I think as far as deliverability, but how about accountability that should go with deliverability. And that's what I'm looking for. I would like more accountability on what we're doing because those things work together. If you're, somebody's accountable, usually they're going to deliver. So I think I'd like to see both of those things, accountability as, re as well as deliverability. Yeah. Thank you. Noted. Commissioner Paulson. So during this budget exercise, I, I probably see more pieces during Mr. Norby's um, presentation, more chess pieces moving up and down on the, 
on the grid. And thank you uh, for that um, piece because it gives us perspective and also, you know, obviously opens it up, up for questions on, on the different details. And before I get into what I think I'm just going to make as a general comment is that I want to pile on what was just said about community partners in particular to have an update on, you know, which departments you are talking to about something. And I've always, um, when I say always, it hasn't been that long, but I've always said that the, you know, the, the Van Ness corridor was a great example of people and agencies not talking to each other. And, you know, after four years, people were saying, you know, what the hell's going on down here? And f there was, I was told years ago, finally a group that got together that said, let's sit down, just like general manager said, I went to the Capitol, you know, uh, meeting myself today just to kind of probably as a newer person to find out what's going on and to say, you know, we've got some pretty big ideas as a big agency about that. So having a report on community partners, and of course, you know, in particular, um, talking about the green pieces that might be a part of that. You know, I, I remember one time seeing, um, you know, a, a, a place where there were 10 schools where, you know, and there wasn't a lot of money, maybe 50000 maybe $200,000 to do some green work out there, and they were all on hold. You know, and you, you kind of look as a commissioner, you know, why the heck is it on hold? Well, it's like... You know, getting stuff done in the schools takes longer and people are still thinking of things and what's going to be the perfect fountain to, you know, to store all our damn, you know, green water and whatever doesn't happen right away because, you know, people scream and yell, why isn't that different? not happening? So that being said, my comment was going to be that I think we all know in California in particular, we're in a certain type of a budgetary um, anomaly in many ways. You know, for the last couple of years, we've just had tons of surplus. There's been COVID. There's, you know, you know, supply chain stuff going on. But then all of a sudden, we found out that you know Newsom has you know billions of dollars to share. And of course, what happens when that happens in any budget cycle? You know, people go in and say, "I want it," and people get it and they spend it because you know anything on the table. There's 900 people that are looking for part of that pot of pie. And now now we have layoffs and we're talking about budget cuts and what have you and and as I know that, you know, I read in the paper, like everybody else, that the mayor has said, you know, I want every department to cut X, Y, and Z. And what we're seeing is an organic piece of this. I guess my long-winded comment is going to be that in this particular cycle, I mean, it's amazing, um, you know, especially with people screaming that we're not getting this done, we're not getting this done, that there are budgeting things that have happened. And that is usually when people scream and yell, um, they don't understand. The infrastructure bill that got passed, you know, in, in Congress this year was nobody thought that was going to happen. They thought that the political paralysis was going to be there. But instead, all this money for infrastructure that everybody's been screaming at actually got funded in, in, a, in a major way, which included, you know, a lot of uh, green programs. And the fact that, um, that there has been this much money budgeted, whether or not it's through debt finance, whether or not it's through self-supporting stuff, whether or not it's been bond measures, that, that's a good thing. We've got, in many ways, in the big perspective, money that is sitting in some wheelbarrow somewhere that we know that we've already harvest, harvested a lot of funding. Getting the stuff done is, is the tougher part, and that's, you know, to see the analysis on what's on hold and what isn't is just a really good part of this analysis. So we should never um, forget, and folks in, you know, both, you know, great people and smart people and people who just like to throw bombs, we have actually done a lot of political work, both nationally, statewide, and locally, to make sure that the SFPUC 
is is probably as well funded and partnered an organization as there is, and this exercise in particular, and that's why I'm thanking you, um, showing where we still need to be diligent. And believe me, um, I, I can tell that you know all commissioners you know, that are here are. Um, you know, maybe even though we're proud to be here, we're still going to have a lot of questions and we're going to be dealing with our priorities. But this was a really good exercise to know that we are well positioned to do the things that many cities have, can only dream of or actually try to suppress. So anyway, thank you for your presentation. And um, this is very helpful. And I know there will be more updates as we uh, move into the year. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just had another question that's on safety and it says trade-offs of budget change yep. and then we see safety and performance um, and people with hard hats increased risk of safety hazards and service disruptions correct yeah so could you speak to that uh, sure I, I think the 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 key point there is uh, we when we think of safety and service disruptions that primarily shows up in two ways it shows up at our treatment plants either in uh, unreliable systems or conditions that are not as ideal as we'd want them to be from a safety perspective. And to a lesser degree, certainly with the, the collection systems, I don't want to diminish that, but typically they're very different safety profiles. I think mostly we're talking about our what we call our vertical facilities or our treatment plants and pump stations. And it's really just what it sounds like. Um, if we know that if you decrease investment uh, in those facilities, particularly in the rehab, the replacement, rehabilitation, the R&R area, those are the trade-offs you start to see, right? So we're just flagging it in, the, in that slide as one thing that we're paying attention to. And we're not at all, let me be crystal clear, actually, because this might is an important point. The number one thing that we make sure we're funding at every treatment facility and pump station, for sure, is identified safety or, or performance issues with existing systems. And that's been uh, a basic part of our decision-making framework now for a number of years. So we, we flag it as a consideration, but the commission should know we are not taking <laughs> safety-related improvements off the table in any of these budget reductions. So I want to be clear on that. Well, thank and, you. and again, because actually, Commissioner Maxwell, I, uh, on a positive note, in a sense, that's not where the big money tends to be, right? And so we know that we can, and we are, we can share you these numbers in the future, but we're on a path to add, you know, roughly 50% to the spending pace for the R&R work, the rehab, rehabilitation, replacement work at the treatment facilities. The good news is that that's such a relatively modest slice of our capital program that you hardly even noticed that they're on the slides, which means we don't need to reduce there. The, and not to, oh, just one last thing because of the deliverability consideration. One of the really valuable takeaways from our, our analysis was just that. When you look at that critical area of need for our existing facilities like Oceanside, North Point, we're not constrained by the budget. We're really, it's about working to improve that deliverability, and that's between us, infrastructure, public works, as a team to, to move those projects. So that part is not subject to budget reductions right now. Thank you. Okay. Okay, excellent. Do you have a comment? Okay. Um, Couple of questions. Um, I think we. Uh, I appreciate the comment on the green infrastructure. That was also in my list. Um, so I'm not going to go back, but I want to make sure I reiterate that's an important part that we should um, 
not shy away from, especially Perfect. I think the biggest thing that caught my attention in addition to, to schools were the streetscapes because I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned that, um, uh, you know, citywide we are reconsidering that. I think that's, right. a, that's a great opportunity. But I appreciate yep. the conversation about partnerships and trying to uh, do multi-benefits projects as we can. So um, after that, I think a couple of questions I have for you going back to um, – uh, maybe this is more of a regulatory uncertainty and what what is going to come down at some point. For example, the whole discussion around contaminant of emerging concerns mm -hmm. and how are we going to manage those? I mean, those are right now conversations. We have no regulations, but I would expect in the next 10 years, similar to PFAS, all of a sudden it becomes a thing that we have to manage. So sure. um, I want you to, you know, I'm just giving you an opportunity to kind of start thinking about those because they're coming, we can't avoid them, and we have to make sure to have uh, put some thinking into that as we are building new projects. How are those going to sure. help us and all that? Yep, very good. And on top of that, I would uh, add also brine management from recycling. We are, our flows are reducing as people are using less water, right? Okay. Um, uh, but we are doing more recycling, which means that we have to manage the effluent that's coming out of that process, right. which mm -hmm. requires totally different kind of management. And um, again, another piece of this um, issue to think about. So, um, so those are the two things. I, I don't know if you want to answer those, or you have you have you want to two, comment. Two about quick comments, maybe one on the constituents of emerging con uh, contaminants of emerging concern. Uh, using the PFAS example. So yes, we are following that very, really closely, as, as, as you know. And the industry, meaning uh, the, the wastewater and the utility industry, is really um, pushing the legislative path for more upstream responsibilities yep. for the, the generators of those constituents. And we do have several staff that primarily through our biosolids management program, because that's where a lot of these ultimately show up, right, as in your, your finished biosolids pro um, uh, product, which in many states, that's why you've seen things like statewide bans on land application, things like that, that we're working very hard to avoid. So point there is we do have people paying very uh, good attention to it and um, keeping, you know, keep an eye on it. Um, and pardon me, remind me of the second one. I, I the apologize. brine management. From brine management, thank you. Okay, so that's actually right in front of us now with the Oceanside Recycled Water Facility. And so we have had to work out those issues from a permitting and environmental perspective already in terms of that facility going online. So it, I'll say this, uh, for that facility, we have that picture pretty clear. As you go beyond that, that facility to, you know, other... Um, uh, recycled water generation or other types of water reuse, the, the Brian question is one we're going to keep on the table. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I think you also mentioned about some of these different uh, investments that we are talking about, especially um, on the, I'd, we don't need to bring up this slide, but the slide that you had two bars that showed, uh, for example, we are uh, re-evaluating re new projects. Right. Um, I know you didn't mention that, but I, w I would like to sort of um, uh, challenge us to go back uh, when we can to the design table and rethink what are the design criteria we are considering for some of these projects mm -hmm. as we are dealing with a lot of the, I mean, you brought up the first slide, 
impacts of climate change and all the regulations that are coming down. I think wastewater is an interesting part of this because you guys are mm. impacted from both sides. You're, there are much more stringent environmental uh, impacts, uh, environmental regulations on release, and it's impacting what comes into your system. So it's kind of like very much of a um, uh, obvious presence yeah. in the management process. So uh, rethinking design criteria is quite important. So when we can, I would like for us to kind of ha take this opportunity to say, okay. if you are spending a dollar, is that dollar going to help us to manage stormwater better, deal with these regulatory um, concerns later better? Do we need to kind of think about uh, other kind of solutions that needs to be at the table to help us okay. manage this system better? So. Okay. Um, and then I put down slides. Oh, that was the comment that um, Commissioner Maxwell man, made. Um, and um, on the slide um, 11, where you mentioned um, when we, we have the, all the bars and you have all the projects, um, one thing that's important is one side is to look at the co capital cost, which is important. Obviously, when we see is that by 2027, 20, 28, the numbers come down. Right. The other thing is how that gradually changes the rates, which is totally the flip side of that slide, right? So because we are going to pay for those projects for a long Correct. time to come. So it's good to have that perspective always in sight to make sure we know of what we're dealing with. Um, and one last comment I make is, um, Commissioner Maxwell brought up accountability. I would actually wrote down earlier risk allocation. And I think as we are dealing with all these different projects, we have to think about how we are allocating risk to make sure that if um, things don't go right, we are not the ones who are bearing the risk of that. that. And then okay. at the same time, we have accountability in a sense that, okay, that we, are, we allocated the risk properly. We are not the ones who are constantly burdened by the failure of the projects, Correct. but also we are both uh, sharing the profits and the good outcome, but also sharing the risks of not being able to deliver. So yeah. one, so I'm kind of, I had a reward for that, but so I wanted to kind of go back and actually reemphasize this a little bit more. Um, don't, I know these were all comments. I don't know if you have comment, the responses to them, but if you don't. I'll, I'll just say we, you know, we uh, the, the points about responsibility and accountability um, for those, the big things that we have to get right. Um, I'll just say we hear you loud and clear. And the, the, the impacts to the wastewater enterprise financials of one big thing, getting it right, that's kind of what's baked in that 10 year picture for us at this point. So it's a very challenging set of constraints um, in that, as you heard earlier, we have uh, you know 9% rate increases, which are already taking us up there. Um, you can see that in that capital program, we're, we're very much going to a modest spending pace. And we are, we're going to have to use each of these um, cyclical budgeting and planning conversations like we're having today to continue to fine tune what the end of that 10 year picture looks like. Because right now it is very challenging. And as you was noted earlier, I think we've, we've said this, uh, there are things we have had to move off the 10 year. They haven't gone away, but they're, you know, they're off that horizon. So it's a very, it's a challenging set of dynamics. Um, and it means we make the best decisions and to you know, be clear on the priorities um, 
be they public policy, ratepayer benefits, what have you. But consistency in those, I think, is really uh, is key. And I one last thing, I'm sorry, Commissioner. You mentioned earlier, too, the, the importance of the stormwater management and the rates. And I, I just wanted to, I think you're very much aware of this, but you know, we're coming back to you in the very near future with the new rates. But for wastewater, the, the biggest strategic change is going to be, if it goes through, is not so much the percentage changes, it is going to be the cost center reallocations so that we're moving the cost of service calculations more towards the stormwater side. And so the dynamics you were referring to earlier, we have been focused on those for a number of years now with the rate setting team and others. And that is uh, probably one of the single most important moves we'll be able to make in the next couple of years to address the, the issues you're talking about in terms of capturing costs where it actually lives, not where it's easy to capture, like in volume. So stay tuned on that one. Yeah, I appreciate that. The only last comment I have is we need to kind of move away from being this big, massive uh, uh, streamliner uh, ship that is very hard to move and become a little bit more faster and more agile, I guess, uh, using the industry's sure. <laughs> uh, buzzword. But it, just because that's what's required of us and that's what's coming at us so we need to be a lot better so i appreciate your comment of going back to the table and you have a comment go ahead please uh i th i thank you i really appreciate this presentation i wanted to emphasize what commissioner maxwell and um president ajami have said that the the green infrastructure or the stormwater collection seem like really important um projects and priorities for the uh, PUC. I, I also heard you mention um, that there are other funding sources, and I think it's also really important for us to think about what are some of these other funding sources. If a project isn't uniquely attributable to or um, a benefit to ratepayers, but may more uh, justly be shared on a, a broader social level, and I think about the importance of all of the environmental work that we do at the PUC, whether it's the Tuolumne River, the Bay, <clears throat> or within the city, to really think about alternative sources. And, and, and I know you're already doing that, and that you're getting state and federal money. Uh, you know, it's crazy random thought whether even a general obligation bond might be appropriate for some of our bigger mm -hmm. projects that benefit the city more generally um, or the, the public, the region more generally. I, I, I just, I don't want to lose sight of some of those bigger projects, um, but I think it's also equally important for us to think about the effect on the ratepayer. And so I think about what's reasonable to share on a, on a broader basis and, and where that funding might come from for us. Sure. But I appreciate that you're looking at that already. We are, and you'll, we, I think we're seeing the same things. If you talk to our colleagues at MTA or Rec and Park or their colleagues in other cities, uh, what's really emerging is the, again, like we've mentioned, the emphasis on finding ways to deliver our resource, our projects that covers as many public benefit bases as possible. And the flip side of that, though, is to, to your point about outside federal funding or state funding. The better we are at the first 
the better we'll be at the second because most of those funding streams really give priority these days to those approaches that have uh, really demonstrated um, collaboration and planning across departments or, or public benefit areas. And then some of your funding constraints also get relaxed a little bit. So for example, in the current, the last infrastructure bill, folks have said, well, it has a lot of money for transportation, not so much for water and wastewater. Well, this may be true, but if you're partnered with a transportation agency that can bring money to the table and you're doing stormwater management, for example, then maybe it's not a bad thing that there's money in the, in the, in the transportation bucket. But if you've got your blinders on, you're not gonna see that opportunity. So we know this, that's kind of where the solution space is, and that's, so I, I think it's gonna take us a little bit of change in our thinking to get there, but we're headed there. Thank you, I appreciate that. And to your point, there was a, in the transportation money, there was a segment that talked about stormwater management, so that's, uh, I appreciate that. Okay, so a um, couple of uh, housekeeping uh, items before we go to public comment, if you don't mind. Um, we are going to take public comment. Um, I have asked if everybody would be willing to stay a little longer. We'll take a quick break, and then uh, we'll come back to uh, go to power presentation, if that's okay uh, with everyone. Okay, okay, perfect. Thank you, Mr. Norby. Okay, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number six, the Wastewater Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan, Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item six? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, we do have one caller in the queue with their hand raised. Caller, go ahead. I have a new Can you hear me line. now? Yes, go ahead. Great, uh, David Pilpel. So on item um, six, uh, several comments on Treasure Island. I am not clear if all ratepayers are paying for the uh, treatment plant improvements and whatnot on Treasure Island, or if it's only the Treasure Island developer or current or future uh, residents. Uh, would be nice to know that. On slide 16, the things that were uh, deferred and uh, addressed to chop out a billion dollars. I think many of these investments will come back in the future, and I hope that we are deferring them and not abandoning them because, frankly, they all seem uh, important in varying uh, degrees. On sewer rehab and replacement, I would, um, just as I said earlier about water, I would continue to use, or I would use condition assessment and risk and not just uh, age as the basis for uh, sewer uh, rehab, um, similar to uh, my comments about water and, and real estate, I'm unclear about the future of the south side of the southeast uh, plant uh, real estate once the new um, digesters are in place. Um, I think that's a big property, big discussion. Maybe that's the better site uh, for what uh, Steve Ritchie was uh, talking about because uh, that's a, a bigger site than even the, the Newcomb um, location. And I hope that we are working to get out of the Bayview Plaza lease. It just kills me that um, we're continuing to lease space at Bayview uh, Plaza for um, offices. In, in general, and I'll just wrap this up, on real estate, I've asked many times for an interdepartmental review of city real estate assets and needs in the southeast sector, primarily east of 101 and south of Chavez, including the southeast uh, plant south side, Newcomb, 
uh, and coordination with DPW, the school district, the college district, the produce market, the post office, and maybe others. I think there's you know, really a, a need for a discussion about that. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, Commissioner, there are no other callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you, public comment and item six is closed. Excellent. So uh, we'll take uh, a quick break. We'll all be back by 1.35. Thank you. Perfect.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Everybody's patience. Um, now we are going to power. And can we have the next item, please, Madam Secretary? Yes, your next item is item number seven, the Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power. And yes, it's time for power. Um, as you know, we operate two retail electric service programs, both the Hetch Hetchy Power Program, which has been around for decades, and Clean Power SF. And these programs have distinct customers, distinct rates and services, and um, operating in capital needs. So you'll see two distinct um, capital plans in your packets today that I'll be reviewing. The first ever Clean Power SF capital plan was adopted in 2020, so it's very new um, and has been balanced. Uh, the history for the Hetchy capital plan is uh, decades longer and has been um, more challenging to balance. So with that, let's, uh, let's bring the slides. Uh, they are up, and let's move on to um, Hetchy first. So you see here our $595.5 million 10-year capital plan. Uh, it's dominated by the proposed spending on the program listed on the top there. That's um, transmission and distribution. You see a jump from uh, the fiscal year 23-24 numbers there. That, what is it, 9.1? 
uh, to future years. That's because we concentrated on spending down um, previously appropriated funds, as has been discussed today. Uh, the next area you'll see here is the Clean Power SF 10-year plan, uh, 73 million over the 10 years. Uh, there's a big bump in the outer years. That's because when we um, sign power purchase agreements for renewable power that gets um, constructed at our uh, request, those agreements include provisions for us to buy out the project and um, take over ownership and operation. That capital plan um, bump towards the later years is where we start to do that with the projects we signed up early in the program. And so here's the summary um, concentrated on the first year requests. Both programs are funded with a mix of customer revenues and restricted use revenues. So for Hetchy, the restricted use um, funds are from things like our lease payments for the use of our streetlights by the distributed antenna system uh, folks, uh, carbon reduction credit sales that uh, fund our renewable generation and our energy efficiency uh, programs. On the Clean Power SF side, the restricted use funds are from uh, public goods charges, and those are collected by PG&E from ratepayers, but distributed by the state of California for our participation in the disadvantaged communities solar programs, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and then customer revenues are what funds the balance of the program. And uh, like, like Greg and Steve both mentioned, we've made tough ch choices, I think, but prudent choices to arrive at these two recommended capital plans. We reevaluated um, Hetchy Capital Plan focused on where unrestricted revenues are spent, and that's mostly in that distribution service area. Uh, we made cuts where projects are less mature, less developed. We retained funding for uh, city priorities like public power expansion, decarbonization, and housing. And you, um, you know we will repeat this prioritization exercise again with the next budget cycle. Uh, that information, that effort rather, will be informed by um, some work underway today, uh, our strategic distribution investment planning. And I think that that's gonna get uh, President Ajami to that question you've been asking about, okay, are we spending money on the right thing? Uh, and so specific to distribution investment, that strategic planning effort we're going through now will, will um, inform next cycle. And also the, the pace of development really for our, um, our Hetchy expenditures is set by the customer for many of these projects. And so we're constantly reevaluating their pace and where we need to come in. Uh, and, then, uh, and then of course the revenue potential that's represented by each, each project is also um, a big factor that we consider. We updated our existing requests by um, asking ourselves a series of questions. You know, looking at the remaining budget from prior years, is it sufficient to complete the phase of the project? Understanding the current phase of the project, are we at a point where the you know, project priority can be reasonably reevaluated? Sometimes you're too far down the road, you just need to finish it. Sometimes it's early enough where you can say, okay, let's scale that back. Uh, are we ready to spend the appropriated dollars? You know, do we have the resources in place for the project, the staffing and contracting requirements for successful project delivery? And once a project is delivered, are we prepared to assume the operating and maintenance responsibilities? You know, do we need to slow down the development because we're not ready or are we ready to speed it up because we are? 
So the programs and funding levels that I'm sharing with you today are the result of that reassessment exercise, asking those questions of ourselves. We had very little to adjust in, in making uh, uh, adjustments to the Clean Power SF plan. The plan was balanced. Um, our review resulted in adding two new public purpose projects, uh, community solar green tariff and the disadvantaged communities green tariff. Uh, these are projects, you know, for us, they were pretty easy to add because they're funded from outside sources. Uh, they align with our affordability and equity objectives, so they're a good fit. And we want to bring the benefits of renewable projects, like, like the one you see pictured here, uh, which is the San Pablo Raceway Solar Project, um, to low-income customers in San Francisco's state-designated disadvantaged communities. Uh, the project that you see here has been delivering power to the Clean Power SF program since 2019. On the Hetchy side, it's more challenging. Uh, the approved capital plan was out of balance by 104.4 million. So cuts in new sources were needed. Uh, we had to be uh, strategic about our cuts. And as I mentioned, power has some funds that are restricted use. So you know, reallocating or cutting those areas really doesn't help us. Uh, so we maintained funding for um, projects that are um, approved and prioritized in the Hetchy Power Plans, uh, projects like the Bay Corridor Transmission and Distribution Project that you see pictured here, the construction of, which by the way was just energized last week, and power crews are connecting the first customers to the BCTD project today. That's the new UCSF garage and clinic in Mission Bay. Uh, so that was the process. Uh, now for the results, the specific programs and projects. First up is our redevelopment program. We uh, had no new funds requested here. Uh, work will, of course, continue on the projects. These are projects like uh, Hunter's Point redevelopment, uh, pictured at the on the bottom there. Um, and that's connecting Alice Griffith um, housing. Uh, undergrounding the distribution system, connecting Treasure and Yerba Buena Islands, so we keep pace with the growth and development, like the housing pictured on the top here on Yerba Buena Island. Projects like those listed here account for much of the growth that um, Nancy Hom, CFO Hom, uh, highlighted when she presented the Hetchy Power Financial Plan. So that growth line that she was showing is coming mostly from this, this area of investment. Then we have um, our uh, retail distribution program where we're requesting 8.4 million, where funds will support improvement um, at our customer sites like uh, SFO substation, the uh, San Francisco International Airport's substation improvement project that we're partnering with the airport on, electrification at SFMTA, and other Hetchy Power retail connections. These, these costs are strongly influenced by the PG&E wholesale distribution terms of service that we've been talking about and reporting to you on a quarterly basis on. Next up is our customer programs. And for our customer programs, we're not asking for any new funds. Um, work will continue on implementing programs supporting demand response, electric mobility, local renewables, and, and building decarbonization technologies. And these photos show decarbonization examples. On the left is a heat pump uh, water heater, and we do a rebate program for heat pump water heaters. 
And uh, the EV chargers that you see on the right are, um, at the, are installed at the Bristol new uh, housing at, um, on Treasure Island uh, under our EV Charge SF program. And then next we have those public purpose programs I mentioned earlier. So for these programs, we're requesting $800,000. And what you see here on the left in the photo is um, our outreach materials to enroll eligible low-income Clean Power SF customers in our Super Green Saver program. And to staff, uh, and then uh, on the right, our staff meeting uh, with residents of affordable housing to sign up for the program. Uh, learn about bill savings and management programs. And the funding source for this program is that state-administered public goods charge uh, that I spoke about earlier. And you, you uh, then next come to our local renewable energy program, requesting, again, $800,000. This is for the Clean Power SF capital plan, and it'll advance our efforts to build out solar on our reservoir rooftops, uh, like the one that you see photographed here, uh, at Sunset, Sunset Reservoir. And this program is an important part of our goal to build out local renewable resources as part of the Clean Power SF vision. Next up is distri distributed energy resources where we're requesting two million. Um, this will uh, fund uh, ongoing small renewables, energy efficiency, and building decarbonization for our Hetch Hetchy customers. Uh, you'll see, um, like the solar installation that you see happening here, this is the solar installation at Marina Middle School. It's one of ne nearly 30 solar installations that we have installed on city property over the years, and it was just energized in, Jan in, in January, this, this month. Uh, so uh, more efforts along those lines. Uh, and then our streetlights, another important area of the Hetchy services is street and pedestrian lighting. Here we are requesting $2.8 million to repair and replace these assets that we own. Uh, most of those funds go towards repair and replacement and improvements. Then we have our utility field services new building request, $700,000. Our power field crews were relocated from the Bryant Street Yard to facilities rented from the port. Uh, the request for funds is to um, do some early planning and design work so that we can get a new home for our utility field services crew. And then final project is our um, public power expansion effort, where we're asking for $7.6 million. Uh, you've, you've seen reports on this where um, you've gotten updates on the progress, uh, but let me just give a few highlights. We have our um, petition at the California Public Utilities Commission, where we are asking them to set a value on the assets we offered PG&E $2.5 billion. They said the assets are not for sale, and if they were, it's too low a value. So we went to their regulator, the California PUC, to ask them to set the value for us. And that's a regulatory proceeding that will take some time and effort. Uh, we're also working with SF Planning to um, complete the environmental impact analysis and compliance with the California Environmental Quality Act. And we're also very busy at this point talking with the public about the project. We've been um, working with the power communications team to get out in the public and make sure they know what it is we're up to and uh, to get their input on how they want us to proceed. And so with that, I'm happy to take any questions or have any discussion you'd like. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Commissioner Maxwell.
much for your presentation. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned additional cuts. Um, I think it was Hatchetchi. Would you give me an example of what those additional cuts are, please? Sure. So we've had some some of those areas like the um, redevelopment and the co grid connections that I talked about. We've we had some partial cuts in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, so for Mission Rock, Pier 70, Hope SF, these are all funded for the early years of their um, of the program, mm -hmm. but not so much for the later phases. So some cutting happened on the later phases. And we'll be able to come back in subsequent budget cycles to say, okay, it's more mature. We know better the timing and the dollars needed. And so we'll, I would expect they'd be, come back into the plan, for example. Uh, we also have uh, cuts on things like um, the idea to decarbonize the steam loop. So the boilers that produce the steam that serve the Civic Center steam loop are fired by natural gas. Mm -hmm. That's a project that was identified in the city's climate action plan uh, as ripe for decarbonization. Uh, so that's something that we are continuing to work with city real estate services um, and, and looking at that option together with the owner of that facility, uh, but not yet ready to put it in the plan. So those are some examples. Thank you. And then you mentioned um, the uh, rooftop solar that you're installing. Are you doing any storage with that, any battery storage with that? That is on the table for consideration, yes. Uh, battery storage and rooftop solar. We don't have storage at uh, sunset, uh, but we are looking at that for the, the subsequent um, installations. University Mound and College Hill are the candidate uh, roofs. And then I noticed very often that Treasure Island is um, without power. Yes. And and one of the housing developments, I don't know whether it's one of probably, um, I don't know whether it's Sunnydale or which, uh, it's Sunnydale. Um, so what's going on with that? Because, you know, you talk about social mm -hmm. justice or injustice, um, and here we are having this environmental issues with them having power. So what are we doing about that? Yeah, so both of those scenarios, the Housing Authority properties and Treasure Island, those systems that serve the electric um, infrastructure that serves those um, locations mm -hmm. are not owned by us. So both at Treasure Island and at the Housing Authority, we have agreements where we serve very much like a contractor to them because we have the skilled trades and the knowledge to uh, perform the work. Um, for the housing authority, you can think of it as like a campus where they have a connection point to the PG&E grid and then everything from that com connection point into the housing authority property, those systems are owned by the housing authority. So actually, oops, the, if you'll put the slide back up for me, please. What you see in this picture is um, a, a tree had fallen during the... Um, is an outage at a housing authority property. A tree had fallen with a erosion of the hillside and took out the, the, the um, transmission lines. We had to, the distribution lines, we had to send out a crew when the power went out. This was at, um, I think this was at Sunnydale. Uh, and so we sent the crew out during the storms and restored power. The power was taken out by the, by the tree. Typically, it's things like that for the housing authority um, that are that are causing outages. Sometimes it's faulty equipment, you know, just aged equipment like a transformer. I think that there was a housing authority outage this weekend. It was a transformer outage. On Treasure Island, a little more complicated. There we have both the old infrastructure that is managed by the Treasure Island De Development Authority 
and we serve again like a contractor to them. They set the rates and everything for, the, for um, island services. Uh, so we bring to them proposed improvements. Just like we're, I'm standing before you and talking about the capital improvements that we would suggest for mm -hmm. the assets we own, mm -hmm. uh, we engage with the Treasure Island Development Authority uh, director and make recommendations to him for what he should include in his budget. So we don't have a direct role. Is there a, um, a list of, of assets that or um, management that we do? Um, because I, I really never knew that. I thought, you know, um, Treasure Island. But are there other contractual obligations that we have that way, like that? Uh, housing Authority and Treasure Island are the, the only. And so all of the Housing Authority properties? The, not all of them. Mm -hmm. Some of the Housing Authority properties, just due to history, are served by PG&E. Mm -hmm. And so those distribution systems are owned and maintained by PG&E. Okay. For, for the housing authority projects that we are the power provider for, that's typically the arrangement. And I'd be happy to share with you the MOUs that describe the specific properties. Yeah, which properties we have. All right. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Paulson. I had uh, some of the same flow of questions that Commissioner Maxwell had. And I know that, you know, because I think we all get the same alerts and that is is that mm -hmm. you know treasure island ti and um and the housing authority and i thought it was actually alice griffith that went out but it was sunnyvale did it, alice Gr griffith go out it you could be right i could be wrong okay um so apologies i can get that solid for you okay so the question was that you know under the request for redevelopment money um or, or for more money in the redevelopment piece of it um as we all know redevelopment is both good and it's both bad depending on you know how it's all played out and the agreements that are made but is um and there's no request for funds this year but of that 100 i think it was 174 million over 10 years of increased fund for development stuff whether or not it's double rock or mission rock mission rock um, where mm -hmm. i mean how, how is that divided out is that deeper in in the book here um, as to the requests for the 10 years of, of money, is there priorities? Like, is the big hunk going to, you know, the Giants development, or is, or is it Housing Authority? Is there a breakdown of that that we could look at? There is a breakdown of, in your book. Okay. Um, you know, Alice Griffith Candlestick Point is, uh, we're requesting 23.4 million okay. for that one. Uh, and then for the balance of the redevelopment projects, 141.6 million. You know, Over the, the, that's the 10 year numbers, right? And without getting deeper, this is sort of tied into why is it, you know, that we get the alerts that, you know, the water went out at, you know, Kitty Cat and Dog Street, you know, okay, delete, you know, unless it's your Kitty Cat. But um, that being said, you know, when we see the Treasure Island and we see the, you know, the Housing Authority, you know, frequently, then, you know, that connection to redevelopment, you know, does raise a flag. And I think I've mentioned that previously. I, I'd like to make sure that we are being diligent on, on our priorities to make sure that underdeveloped communities, you know, are not being treated in any ways different than, you know, better funded private, you know, pieces that we happen to be contracting with. So I'm just kind of putting that marker out there. Yeah, and I, and, and I appreciate that. You know, as the housing authority properties are being redeveloped, they are being, they're, they're getting fully new underground electrical facilities. They're working with us as their power provider. We will own those facilities then. We'll no longer be in this odd contractor type of role. We'll have, you will have more ability to oversee and enforce 
and hold us accountable for keeping the, the lights on and, and, and good quality service there just like everywhere else. I'm just, sometimes I'm toasty on a holiday and, and you know, doing quite well and all of a sudden I get a click that, you know, Treasure Island went out again, you know, and that's not the, necessarily the new development. That was our curtain folks that are living right. in the place. So anyway, that perspective, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I, thank you so much. I have mm -hmm. a question for you. Um, maybe not a, on the same thread, but a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, imagine all this, uh, you know, we managed to convince PG&E to sell our, their assets to us, and tomorrow we own all these things. I'm just wondering, like, well, just being, you know, looking like whatever number of years ahead. I'm being very positive, feeling good today. Um, if you were to manage that, I guess I'm just, my question is, do we need to think about what is it needs to be done for us to be able to have a well-functioning system? Um, I don't know if that's a question that you can answer right now, but I'm just trying to, you know, plant a seed to say, it would be good for us to kind of sit back and say, you know, if this happens, what mm -hmm. does that exactly mean? And I know we don't have the status of all their assets and how, well, they're functioning or not, mm -hmm. or uh, or maybe we do, but it would be good to kind of for us to kind of anticipate what is the operational cost of something like that, mm -hmm. if we end up uh, being able to acquire it. So that's uh, one thing to. Um, yes, and that that work some some of that work has been done, and that work is being funded through the through the acquisition project request. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we actually are either we just did or are about to go out uh, with uh, an RFP. Actually, we, we went out for an RFP for additional um, support for those services uh, to um, to get additional like good utility practice advice mm -hmm. on what to anticipate um, and how to best organize ourselves internally at the PUC, um, not just in power, but in the other bureaus as well. You know, there's a huge HR component to this, yeah. right? For mm -hmm. example, just for example, an IT cybersecurity yep. component. Um, so all of that is is part of the acquisition project um, that that we're requesting funding for here, and that work is underway. Perfect. Oh, so, okay, got it. That's good to know. I, I appreciate that. Any other comments? Oh, go, come go ahead, please, Commissioner. Well, I was looking at the. Um, I was trying to find the. Um, the uh, slide where you show the uh, people. I think it was. Um, um, all these people out on yellow vests, and I oh. send. The I don't. I don't remember what it was. Solar panel. If we could put the slides up, is yeah. it? I, I mean, it's in. It was uh, slide 17. Utility yes. field yes. services. Yes. This yes. one. Yes, that one. That one. Yes. So, so what are we doing about the request for you know the the um, the jobs and all of the things that we were asking you all to do um, in regards to our contracts with our storage other people that we're dealing with. Um, you know, we were asking about our, actually San Francisco values. In, in, in terms of our recruitment? And in terms of jobs and returns of going to communities of color and, um, and how we're treating them and the jobs and, and all of the other things that we wanted to put in contracts. And, you know, oh, yeah. put in the contracts. Uh, so we have... Uh, 
maybe, maybe I don't know, is that better? Are you better positioned for that one, Stephen? Um, I, can, I can speak to what we're doing within our workforce, and let me see if Stephen could speak to what we're doing within our well, within contracts. Well, I was talking about um, with the other agencies we were working with, our oh, GP. You're, are you talking, you're talking about the- Point um, Powers Authority? Yes, yeah. yes. You can sorry. relax, great. You can, have a, you can have a seat. Now I know what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Commissioner. <laughs> just fault. wasn't quite firing there. No. Uh, the community uh, power, California Community Power is a JPA that we are working with. Um, and yes, we, I have made some modest behind-the-scenes progress um, in working with um, some of the members there to establish um, a, a, uh, a workshop convening once we have a new executive director. So we are making some progress. I think the last time we talked about this topic, uh, I identified that the, um, the JPA is going through a transition from a, a part-time um, executive director to a, a full-time executive director. And once that full-time executive director is in place, uh, identified in the strategic planning conversations that this issue needs to be addressed. Uh, this issue about how we are contracting through them for power in a way that meets our um, our objectives on workforce and environmental justice and 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 being a good a, a good member of society, basically, right? All right. The um, so we are, are definitely with you and behind you on that. I'm the sorry. Unions, union folks. Yes, yes, yes. or, or uh, project labor agreements. Yes. 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 Yeah, so we're making s slow but steady progress. As long as we're doing that, thank you. <laughs> it's on my it's on my list. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Not going to lose that one. Commissioner Paulson. So a follow up on that, since um, uh, Commissioner Commissioner Ajami had mentioned the, uh, you know, the the work that's being done. What if the day comes that the grid is ours to to handle and in the work? And I know you've been doing a lot of work over the years, you know, trying to do the what ifs on that. I just have to make my marker down um, as Commissioner Maxwell just sort of mentioned in general, um, but that is you know, currently the folks that are maintaining and dealing with that grid are well-paid um, workers working um, you know, for currently PG&E, and if that you know, changes the relationship between a private developer and the city, that those workers are going to be able to um, you know, either continue to work in those jobs and at a minimum all the um, standards that they currently have are not going to be diminished during any type of a transition, and that is something that is going to be very um, highly, you know, looked at. You know, when we come to that magic moment. So, just I just wanted to put that marker down since it was brought up during this uh, exercise. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Stacey. Thank you, and thank you for that very clear presentation about a couple of very complicated programs. I just have a funding source question. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the public purpose programs, I'm remembering that there, were, there was federal money and state money to help um, fund for some of the customers who mm -hmm. had arrearages during COVID. Do these public purpose programs have a federal or state funding source as well? How do we pay for those? Yeah, so that's, there are two separate pots that we're talking about, two, mm -hmm. two, set, two separate pockets, if you will. The public goods charge that I'm talk, charges that I'm talking about here appear on your investor-owned utility electric bill. So in, in San Francisco, for Clean Power SF customers, they pay a um, public goods charge on the PG&E portion of the bill. 
and it's separately delineated. If you, if you um, look at the small print, you'll see it there. Mm -hmm. uh, that creates a, pi a, a pot of dollars that then um, is tracked by the California PUC, and the California PUC gives PG&E or other administrators the authority to spend those dollars. Um, in this event, we applied to the CPUC for some of those dollars to fund our distributed, sorry, our disadvantaged communities uh, programs, and they granted that request. But it's a charge that ratepayers yes. um, pay for. Okay. So it's not taxpayer funded, it's on your electric bill. Okay. And then the streetlight program, uh, how is that funded? So that's, there's two funding sources for our streetlight program. First um, is the revenues we receive from um, telecommunications carriers who lease the use of the poles mm -hmm. to attach distributed antenna systems. Um, you'll see these throughout the city. They're kind of rectangular boxes sure. on the streetlight poles. Yeah. Um, so that's one source of revenues. Once we exhaust those, then we spend ratepayer dollars. So our Hetch Hetchy customers fund our um, streetlight maintenance system. It's one of our costs of doing business that's factored into the rates that are set for Hetch Hetchy Power customers. Thank you. So it's very unusual for a, a city to fund streetlights that way. It's just somehow that's how it was in San Francisco. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a good thing? <laughs> uh, well, it's a, you know, it's a general fund. It's typically a, a general fund type of service. It's not typically um, yeah. considered a utility service. Um, usually, most cities fund it as a, 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 a component of their public works program. Public, it's in the public right-of-way, which, mm. you know, street light and pedestrian lighting systems are in the public right-of-way, which are generally um, operated by public works departments. And the reason I asked about those two programs in particular is I thought maybe they might not be ratepayer obligations. Yeah. But thank you. You're welcome. Uh, quick question. Um, thank you for those answers. Those were fantastic. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, there is all this investment coming down the pipelines through private investors who are very interested in climate impacts and energy and all, all sort of things. And I, I know right now we are not the main operator of our system, so it's very difficult for us to take advantage of all of those. But I think, again, anticipating what's coming down the pipeline, mm -hmm. it is good to think about what are the uh, public-private partnerships we can put in place um, that can help us to advance our uh, climate strategy and energy strategy in the long run. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And I would, I would thank you for that. I would say that that's one of the things that, that we're discussing with the finance team. Where do we mm -hmm. put that in the priorities of work we need to do with them? Yeah. Um, you know, because we do, even though, you know, I, I think the way you asked the question, you were kind of characterizing it as something that might be in our future as we do the big acquisition. But actually, you know, individual um, investments that we've done, like the Bay Corridor Transmission and Distribution Project, could be could have could have been funded that way. Yeah. The port wants a new substation. You know, is that something we should be looking at? Uh, a a, a public-private partnership for that, because they they qualify as as um, uh, they they likely would qualify as green bond uh, projects, and so they're attractive to third parties who are looking Absolutely. to invest in a socially responsible way. 
Absolutely. I have the green bond written here. I wanted to make that <laughs> comment later. Uh, absolutely. So I'm, I appreciate hearing that. One last thing I would say is this power conversation you and I had uh, last week with, uh, you know, the when you look at the EIA's, um, uh, you know, cost of power, we definitely, the East, West Coast is definitely most, has been the most vulnerable when it comes to um, cost of power acquisition increasing uh, in the recent months, right? Mm -hmm. And I think your point was uh, it's very much driven by um, natural gas, the cost of natural gas and shortage of natural gas, which, you know, absolutely on point, and that is definitely a driver of that. But the question I have there is, is, this, is there some lesson there that we have to think about as we are dealing with the future, right? So we did, in a lot of the West Coast invested on natural gas as a whole way of sort of veering off coal power plants, right? And now we are in this situation which is which is very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking if there's a lesson there, is there something we have to think about? Is there is there a strategy we have to put in place uh, to make sure we don't end up um, in this situation again? Um, and um, you know, I know it's a long-winded question, but I'm just it really worries me when mm -hmm. I look at those numbers. And we don't know when it's going to come down. We don't know when that war is going to be over. We don't, we don't know. There are a lot of uncertainties in that process. So I'm just trying to see what is it that we know that we can do to help us in the long run. Yes, and, and just to make sure folks are following. Um, so this is, you're reflecting back on the presentation I made at the last commission meeting. Yes. Um, where we talked about the prices uh, that we're seeing in the wholesale electric market and how they are influenced by uh, the natural gas market and, and the global uh, events that that we are facing. Um, I, th I think one of the main approaches we are taking is looking at investment in um, non-gas-fired resources, looking at investment in storage, you know, looking at investment in um, firm renewables, be that geothermal or new technologies. You know, folks are coming forward with some interesting new technologies. This all goes to the issue of diversification of our portfolio, making sure that we aren't putting all our eggs in one basket, that we're able to be, um, what were you saying, agile? Right. Uh, so, so really, I think that's, that's, that's our perspective on it. That's what we're, that's our response to it. Um, of course, we're just a teeny tiny actor in this, right? Oh, of course. Um, but, the, you know, when, you, when you're um, participating in State of California discussions about um, these issues, that's really what the themes are. Um, so we're not alone. And California will move, you know, with, consistent with the directions from the, the state legislators, um, which are consistent with that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, do you have a question? Yeah. Perfect, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, can we have public comment on this? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item six, the Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF Enterprise Budget and Capital Plan, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item six? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, we do have two callers wishing to be recognized. Caller one, I've unmuted your mic. Go ahead. You have two minutes. Great. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thank okay. you. 
Great. Uh, David Pilpel last time today. So I hope that new electric vehicle charging stations keep up with demand, serve resident needs, and cover their costs. I don't know if people have to pay to uh, charge electric vehicles. Uh, it seems, uh, if, if not, it seems odd to me that uh, the public, uh, as far as I know, didn't pay to construct uh, gas stations, and you certainly can't, you know, go get free gas anywhere. So it would seem odd to me that electric vehicle uh, users could potentially uh, charge at no cost. So hopefully we're uh, charging and covering the cost there. Um, I think that rates uh, for power should cover all of the operating and capital costs, whether that's uh, municipal streetlights or uh, clean power SF. Perhaps we'll have more discussion on that uh, with the next uh, rate package. Um, further on rates, I hope that all green tariff uh, programs require time of use rates. In my view, we should really have everyone on time of use uh, pricing. Um, I agree that utility field services needs permanent office and warehouse space, and now I'm thinking that maybe long-term 1990 Newcomb is the, the best for them, but just thinking out loud. Um, separately, I think that space at 525 Golden Gate isn't being fully uh, used. Uh, I would use more hoteling uh, in the building for staff who aren't always there and try to get out of the lease across the street at 544 Golden Gate. Um, and I think those are my comments on the budget. I can follow up with appropriate PUC staff on any other comments or questions I might have. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I have unmuted your line. You have two minutes. Uh, uh, are you able to hear me? Yes, go ahead. Perfect. Hi, uh, my name is Mateen. I just had a, uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm uh, really interested in this project. We're very, uh, very interested in how uh, green energy and how this can help affect my communities. Great project, uh, really interested. I do have a question though, kind of following up with uh, the first car's question, as well as another question you guys have about budgeting. So you mentioned that one source of funding is going to be a ratepayer obligated. So my question with this is first, is there details exactly how much this would change the cost of what we pay for rates in regards to uh, funding these projects? And my follow-up to that would also be, uh, you mentioned that these projects were mainly affecting districts such as Treasure Island, Yerba Buena Island, Alscripps, Pierce MB, Mission Rock, and Hope and Seth. Does this mean that uh, only those districts, if they were had to pay more in their rates to fund these projects, would it only be limited to these regions, or would all areas that are under the PG&E or Hetchy uh, energy sources would they would everybody be responsible for paying and contributing to this fund? And that should be it for my questions. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments, Madam Secretary and Commissioners. There are no other callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you, public comment on item number seven is closed. Excellent. Um, colleagues, any last minute comments? Um, Commissioner Stacy, go ahead, please. I just, I really just wanna say thank you to the general manager and the staff for this workshop today. It was incredibly useful for me. The presentations and the materials have been really helpful. Um, so thank you, it's really an impressive effort. Thank you. Okay, so um, I also want to say uh, really a big thanks to all of you for putting this together. It's always so useful to go through these numbers and have a conversation and dialogue on this. Just want to leave you with three things. One is we are all facing 
so many different um, pressures in our system from impacts of climate change to the pandemic we just went through to social issues we are dealing with to you know just just name it uh, everything coming at our uh, smoothly running system as you can call it. I'm sure Steve really agrees with that but uh, it's it's definitely coming faster and with a bigger force so it's and it's impacting us in different ways and I think with that I want to make sure we are all partnering together to help you move to the next phase of what SFPUC needs to look like, what is the, how does a, a utility needs to look like, well, how do we need to make sure we can build something that can last long time and be sustainable and be providing services that are valuable to our public. That means that we're engaging with our public in a more active way, making sure we have a right rate-setting process in place, making sure we are investing in the right projects, um, you know, all of the above. And I think with that, I would just um, leave you with two things. When I joined the commission, one of the things that I kept mentioning was I would like to see for, for us to collaborate across enterprises a little bit more. We are natural. I mean, people constantly talk about water and wastewater and collaboration across the board, um, water and power. And we see some of that happening. For example, in the Hechechi presentation, Mr. Ritchie was showing how uh, you know, we invest in the Hechechi system, partially by power, partially by water, partially co-investing. And that's a great model that we already have. And I want to see if we can do more of that, not just for projects that are obvious, but actually things that we actually, in the long run, need to think about. How can we uh, generate energy from our waste? How can we think about generating water from our uh, wastewater? And how can we do all these different partnerships that we can do across the board? How does a stormwater can become a water supply? I know we are thinking about it, but I don't necessarily think um, sort of on a case-to-case -case basis, we are actually creating these partnerships. Uh, we don't really have the right system in place to enable some of that. So I think creating that would be very valuable. Sharing, we talk about external partnership. Mr. Norby mentioned that multiple times, which I'm a big fan of. But internal partnerships are going to be super valuable and important too. So focusing on that is very important. Last thing. Um, you know, all these projects that we have on the books, we have to think about what are the long-term value of them, how can we make sure they are touching on all the sustainability goals that are out there to make sure we can take advantage of the green bonds and all the other um, uh, more uh, innovative financing mechanisms that are out there. Um, so, and taking advantage of some of the partnerships on climate investment and all the money that's coming down to transition us to a new generation of everything. I just want to make sure we can take advantage of all that. So, if that means that we have to think about our financing model, if we need to change certain things to enable us to access that money, we are here to help you. So, help us help you to make sure that we can all move together toward a different, different outcome and different future. So. With that, thank you. Go ahead, please. I guess we're struggling now with deliverability and accountability until the next emergency happens. And then what? And the next emergency is around the corner. And so we, I, I really appreciate all of your hard work. And I know you all are thinking about all of this. So I, I think it would be good if we um, look forward to having another discussion about 
an emergency and what we have in place. Excellent. I think you're good, right? So with that, this meeting adjourns.